Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of December 14th, 2023, including E3 is officially dead for real this time. Disney's gaming boss speaks on Indiana Jones being an Xbox exclusive. Xbox is exploring a free ad-based version of Game Pass and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2011, 12 years ago, Sonic CD was released for the Xbox Live Arcade on Xbox 360. Of course, the real Sonic CD was released for the Sega CD in 1993, but this was the first time it came to Xbox, or Xbox Live Arcade. I think it was technically available on Xbox 360 in 2009 through the Sega Genesis collection. Was, Was CD on that? I don't know. Guys, it's clearly the end of the year because there are not a lot of notable games coming out right now. There's not a lot of like historical releases around this time. This has historically been a pretty dead time of year to release a new game. That's not to say Sonic CD isn't a good game. In fact, I don't know if this is a controversial take among the Sonic community. I, I don't I don't ever know what they're talking about because despite my love for Sonic, those Sonic fans, they're just a bunch of fucking stinky, sweaty, uh, showerless looking furry fucks and... They're always, I don't know, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm over here like, oh, what's the best 2D Sonic game? And they're over there like, oh, which Sonic character would you rather have sex with? And so, I don't know. I don't, I don't associate me with them. I love Sonic the video game. Don't, don't love Sonic the fandom. But, uh, yeah, Sonic CD, actually one of my favorite classic Sonic games, I would say probably my second favorite classic Sonic game behind Sonic 2, I think. Sonic 2 is definitely the best old school Sonic game, like, Thinking of Sonic as everything before Adventure came out, I'd say Sonic 2, Sonic CD, Sonic 3, and Knuckles, then Sonic 1. I'm not going to talk about things like Sonic 3 Blast and all that crap. We we don't get Sonic Runners. We don't got to get into all that. Okay? We're good. But yeah, Sonic CD, pretty pretty damn great game. And uh, it's kind of fitting that it comes up in this segment because when we get to the one I've been playing, oh, we'll circle back to Sonic the Hedgehog. Don't you worry, you little... You little fucking blue furry fetish loving motherfucker. Guys, welcome to Xbox On, the podcast about one console with one host and all that whatnot. Episode 237, we're there. We're at that point of the year. You know, there's just a couple weeks hanging over us before before the uh, calendar turns over and it's another another year of your life. It's just gone by and there you are. You're looking in the mirror, you're saying, when did I get bags under my eyes? You're thinking to yourself, but my mother still refers to me as her baby boy. Why? Why do I look like... I have a like perpetual mugshot face. What is this? What's happened to me? Well, don't worry. That's just part of that's just part of the magic of growing up. You're just uh you're just blossoming into a, a, a typical, completely normal, well-adjusted adult. Welcome to the real world, guys. We don't have any notable game releases this week because again, it's just that time of year. Like, what the fuck's coming out? However, I do want to talk about a game release last week that I kind of got to make a correction on because I talked about how Plumbers Don't Wear Ties Definitive Edition is coming to Xbox, which I was pretty hyped about. And, uh, well, the reason why I found out I needed to correct this was because I was so hyped about this, I went to the Xbox Marketplace 
uh, or I'm sorry, they call it the Microsoft Store. There is no Xbox Marketplace anymore. I went to the Microsoft Store to buy Plumbers Don't Wear Ties, and uh, I was like, huh, it's not here. What the hell? Did I get the release date wrong? Look it up online. Uh, Plumbers Don't Wear Ties Definitive Edition has come out. It is available as of December 8th for the Xbox 360 and Xbox Series consoles. Not the Xbox 360. The Xbox One and Xbox Series consoles. What freaking year is it? How did I make that mistake? Anyway, um, but it's not available for purchase digitally or at your local Walmart. You have to. It's, it was re-released through um, Limited Run Games, that, that, that company that gets licenses for games and does like special physical re-releases or box set editions or you know, gets the licenses to old old school games that are out of publication or, or or funds certain indie games to get a physical release. Uh you may have heard of them before. But yeah, they did a they did a release for <clears throat> the old 3DO interactive uh, FMV game. Plumbers don't wear ties. I was very excited about that. And then when I found out it's only available through limited run games, that immediately killed my enthusiasm because I don't really feel like spending forty bucks on a physical edition of the game and then waiting two and a half months maybe for it to ship to me. I'd rather just download it for like 15 bucks and be done with it but not only that it seems like they've sold out of it on their website so i don't know if they're going to restock it but it may no longer be available for xbox so oh well just had to make that correction also just uh, express my my mild disappointment with that realization that's okay this week is full of exciting and good news as well i can't wait to get into the games we've been playing this week because for the first time in a what feels like a very long time i've actually played video games and i'm uh it's, it's it's nice to have that like excitement and enthusiasm again, you know, like when you when you get out of a dry spell of like not feeling like playing games for a while, and then you finally find a game that clicks with you again, you get back in the mood, and then you're like excited about video games again. It's one of those moments for me right now, so I'm feeling good about that. We'll get all all over that news in a little bit, but before we do, let's start this podcast this week with our typical opening segment: the mildly amusing stories, updates, things to just talk about to kind of set the stage, get us in the mood to discuss Xbox as we round out the year 2023, a year that was marked by, I don't know, what was this, what was like so special this year? I mean, aside from like all the war and death and political corruption and turmoil and civil unrest, I mean, what was a, you know, it was a good year, right? Freaking Taco Bell had some good releases. We got a Tron roller coaster at Magic Kingdom. Pretty good year. All right, <laughs> starting off with Windows Central's, uh, uh, well, this is from Windows Central, although it's really not, not like an article or anything. I just, I, I took their article to get that, to get the, the hyperlink here, basically. But, hey, you guys got Spotify, you got that Spotify rap that everyone gets so crazy about. Ooh, look, guys, I listened to Lady Gaga's Poker Face 8.6 trillion times in the year 2023. I'm so excited to share with all 400 of my Instagram followers that uh, I'm the biggest Lady Gaga fan. Well, yeah. We all love that the Spotify wrapped, and nowadays everyone's doing it. If you got freaking, you got a subscription uh, to anything, they'll, they'll tell you about what you did. They'll tell you, you know, freaking, you got a subscription to Blue Apron. They're like, oh, look, your, your most eaten meal was a homemade meatloaf with microwave mashed potatoes. You got a freaking subscription to uh, to OnlyFans. It'll be like the the the, the, the female, the the barely 18-year-old female that you uh, stared at the most on your iPhone 13 Plus this year was. Cynthia or whatever the hell it is. So, you know, every company's got their their version of Spotify rap at this point in time. And uh, Xbox is is finally here. I know last year, they, I think it was like two years ago they did it, and then last year they didn't. And so True Achievements jumped in. 
And they came up with their own version called My Year on Xbox Stats. And you could connect your Xbox account to your uh, trueachievements.com account. And it would be able to pull your data and, and, and scrape through your account and come up with their own version of like a Spotify wrap for your Xbox. Well, while that still exists and you can do that, Xbox has an official one this year. So just go to uh, xbox.com, log into your account. And you'll see it there on the homepage. It's like, oh, try out your Xbox year in review page. Um, or you can easily find it online, but I did mine. I thought this would just, just be kind of a fun way to start out the podcast this week, you know, talking about our year in review for, uh, for Xbox. So, um, yeah, so here's my little snapshot. So it shows my gamer tag, shows my profile picture. It says the total amount of time I played Xbox in the year 2023 was 653 hours. Now, of course, a lot of that time was also like, time spent idle or time spent like watching YouTube or Netflix or something like that on my Xbox because even though I've slowly started to move towards more and more using my smart TV to to do like Hulu and Netflix and YouTube I still sometimes use the Xbox to do that as well so and then also my girlfriend got really into Call of Duty towards the, the later half of the year so those hours are a little bit skewed but yeah close you know six and a half six hundred six six hundred fifty three hours or so playing Xbox that doesn't sound I don't know. Does that sound like too much? Does that sound like not enough? It's like I, I, I play video games way too much to be a grown ass responsible man, but not nearly enough to be an Xbox podcast host. It's like, where, where does this put me? Is this in a, is this what, what does this say about me? 653 hours on Xbox. It says I acquired 7091 gamer score, which I think sounds pretty meager, especially compa- uh, considering that Game Pass exists and you can just farm gamer score all day nowadays and it says i got a total of 416 achievements this year my most played game was call of duty i think when you consider the fact that my most played game is call of duty meaning mostly modern warfare 2 multiplayer i think it's kind of impressive that i got that gamer score and that many achievements because i wasn't unlocking achievements all year on call of duty i was just shooting guys in the face dying respawning rinse repeat listening to podcasts in the background so i guess it's not too bad for someone who's just playing a lot of call of duty for at least half of that 653 hours right um yeah so 653 hours 74 unique games played this year uh 416 achievements my top gameplay month was the month of may I don't know what I was playing in May. Maybe that was when I played Alan Wake. I don't remember. Let's see. It says I got 26,000 Microsoft reward points on Xbox. Uh, My top genre played. 55% of the games I played this year were in the shooter category. My second most played uh, genre was action adventure. Then it was role playing at 9%, platformer at 4%, and 2% other. Um, I don't know what what video game uh, classifies its genre as other. But uh, yeah, it says some of my most played games, Atomic Heart, uh, Disney Dreamlight Valley, that was definitely Jolina, not me, Batman, Gotham Knights, I didn't put that much time into that game, did I? What the fuck? I don't know. It says I'm in the top 10% of of, uh, of hours played on Xbox, top 5% of, player, uh, of players for gamer score acquired and for achievements unlocked, so that means I'm better than most people. It says I played Call of Duty for 214 hours, so yeah, there we go awesome really cool stuff i'm oh my number two most played game of the year starfield 50 hours thank you number three most played game hogwarts legacy again that must be my girlfriend because i think i played like six hours of hogwarts legacy it says i've played 38 i blame her that's not me that's not me don't don't go pointing your fingers at me and tell me i'm some british loving fucking 
muggle or mud mug blood or whatever weird excuse for racial slurs they came up with so jk rowling can make white british boys uh, say bad words but uh yeah I, I it's fun right it's fun to look at these it's fun to look at your spotify rap to look at your ex uh, my year on xbox and just be like wow really i burn oh oh 257 hours on call of duty oh that's why i still don't know how to file my own taxes oh that's Oh, that's why I've been telling myself for the past 15 years I was finally going to learn how to play that guitar. Oh, that's that explains that. Okay, that's nice. But I did want to point out one thing, because I also did do the TrueAchievements.com version of this and ran my numbers, and it came up with some different stats. So I thought I would just, like, kind of put these side by side and compare them. Um, who, who is, who's wrong here? Who has this right and who has this wrong? Why does True Achievements say one thing, but Xbox says something else? And why, and why dare True Achievements try and go head-to-head with Xbox here and try to compete with, uh, actually, I don't even know what I'm saying. Let me just pull these up and, and look at them and stop being a fucking idiot for a second. Here we go. Um, yeah, so True Achievements says I got 395 achievements this year. Xbox says I got 416. I'll go with Xbox on that. Xbox says I got about 400 more gamer score than True Achievements says. Xbox says I played 214 hours of Call of Duty. Uh, True Achievements says I played 192 hours of Call of Duty, so... True Achievements is trying to, they're trying to ruin my reputation a bit here. It sounds like they're trying to make me seem a little bit more like a scrub than I truly am. Like, you know, trying to ruin my credibility, my gaming cred by saying that I don't play as much as I truly do. So, True Achievements, watch it, okay? I, I liked you before, now you're starting to make a problem where there doesn't have to be one. So, I don't know. Be interested to see uh, some of the results of you guys. I know you guys play all sorts of fucked up games. You guys are playing freaking, freaking uh, Mortal Kombat and Laser Suit Larry and stuff. So you tell me, tell me what you got. What's your, what's your, what's your play time like? What are your big games of the year? It's fun stuff. It's fun to compare and post it online. All your friends are like, you know, it's like you get your Spotify rap. You're like, oh look, I listened to 75 hours of Kanye West. It's like, bro, why does it say you listen to so much Kanye West right around the time where everyone stopped liking Kanye West because he was saying all that anti-Semitic shit? That's a little messed up. And you're like, oh, I can't really explain that. You know, it's fun. You're sharing your Spotify numbers, and then you get your Xbox One. You're like, oh, guys, look, I I played 700 hours of Xbox, and your friends are like, well, I play PlayStation because I'm not a bitch like you, and you <laughs> you cry a little bit because you're on Xbox, and Xbox is for losers. So it's all good. So there it is. Don't don't really know what we talked about thus far. But let's just keep the train going. Uh, moving over away from my year on Xbox and towards E3, the big video game expo uh, that's been a part of the industry since 1995, the year I was born. Well, we got an update on E3, and it's that it is uh, officially dead. Now, this would normally be like a huge news story, but I just feel like because the fact that everyone has said and seen from a mile away for a long time now, E3 is dying. E3 won't be here for long. E3 is about to die. E3 is about to be dead for good. Oh my God, there's E3 gasping for air. Uh, this comes as a shock to absolutely no one, but from VGC, they uh, they write up, E3, the game industry's former flagship annual event, is officially dead. The ESA, or Entertainment Software Association, has said, quote, after more than two decades of hosting an event, uh, that has served as a center showcase for the U.S. and global video game industry. The ESA has decided to end E3, President Stanley Pierre-Lewis said in a statement. We all know uh, the, the entire industry, players and creators alike, have a lot of passion for E3. We share that passion. We know it's difficult to say goodbye to such a beloved event, but the timing is right to do uh, to do to do so given uh, the new opportunities for our industry and uh, have reached so many fans and partners. E3 was created in 1995 as a means to for retailers uh, to meet with game publishers. The event quickly became a tentpole of the industry, uh, attracting millions of eyes and media coverage from around the world. Yes, E3 was, of course, part of uh, 
uh, what's it freaking called? CS, uh, what Consumer Electronics? Uh, what, what the fuck is it called? It takes place like every year in January, February, something like that. Uh, CES, Consumer Electronics Show, uh, and, and video games were shoved into the corner as as the story famously goes. And everyone's like, "Oh, what's this? Interactive entertainment? That's that's dumb. I want to look at toaster ovens." And then uh, the Entertainment Software Association or the ESA was like, "We should do our own event with gaming." As it got more and more popular, and then they came up with E3 and they did it in Los Angeles. And then one year they did it in Atlanta, where I used to live, and I was too young to go. I was just too busy pooping my pants to be at E3 that year. I'm sorry I missed it. I could have gone should have gone uh but i didn't and then uh it happened for many more years in california until it didn't happen then and then the pandemic destroyed it uh but let's be honest it was kind of dying anyway because nintendo and even sony had pulled out towards the end of uh, of its life uh, life cycle and now jeff Keighley gets up on stage and flashes cool trailers for level infinite uh, aka um tencent uh published and affiliated games and then we watch the trailers and then they have Developers come up on stage and are like, you get the award for best action game. And then some developer who spent like 75 years in a fucking box working on a game gets up there all teary-eyed and says, I, I really put my heart and soul into this game. And then they start playing walk-off music and like, get the fuck off the stage. And then they get some famous Hollywood celebrity who doesn't know jack shit about video games to come out. And he's just like, I'm handsome and I'm in Hollywood. And everyone's like, woo! And he's like, and also here's a, an award for games that make an impact. And then it's like freaking Fortnite. Uh, and that's awesome. It's awesome. That's that's what we got now instead of E3, and it's all good. So E3 is dead, but not forgotten. I'm sure we all love E3. Again, it's just, I don't know, I feel like there's nothing to say here because we've been talking about on and off forever. You know, Reed Pop got involved with trying to organize E3, and it was supposed to happen this year, and then it got canceled last minute because no one was really coordinating with them, and none of the publishers were getting involved. And it just, it seems so obvious that there was no way this was coming back. Once it was gone, it was gone for good. And once, once publishers and, and everyone got kind of caught wind, that's like, hey, we don't need to pay all this money and plan around this very specific time of year to, to message our games, you know, with the power of the internet, we can just kind of be like, hey guys, we got a, a video game to talk about and just do our own thing. And that's kind of where we are today. And, and yes, it's less eventful. And yes, in a way it is kind of sad because in, in a sense, the video games industry has lost its quote unquote Super Bowl type event. Um, and I definitely have very warm, fond memories of E3 and will miss it. But I, I think at this point, the E3 that was still alive in some skeletal form isn't really the E3 we all knew and loved. And so rest in peace, E3. Maybe one day it can be revived because everything comes back from the dead. Everything is nostalgic. Um, except your grandpa who died of cancer. He's not coming back from the dead. That is unfortunately like the one thing we don't do. Uh, but, you know, if it's an 80s movie or an 80s band or an 80s video game or literally just anything from the 80s and, you know, 1995, it's only it's only a few years removed from the 80s, you know, anything close enough or 80s adjacent gets revived. So E3, I'm sure we'll see you in another life someday, maybe in four or five years when people are nostalgic. Maybe they'll call it E4. I don't fucking know. But uh, until then, Ron hell. I miss you. All right. Speaking of Harry Potter, next up, I want to talk about Hogwarts Legacy year-to-date sales because this is some impressive stuff. So just let's read this from VGC real quick. According to data published by Circana, formerly known as NPD, Executive Director Matt Piscatella, Modern Warfare 3, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, is already the U.S.'s second best-selling video game of the year. Uh, the first best game currently being Hogwarts Legacy, which came out in February? February, March? February, right? Uh, Modern Warfare 3, which has been on the market for... Five weeks uh, has already outsold Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, um, Marvel Spider-Man 2, Madden NFL 24, Diablo 4, just in these five weeks on sale. So the reason that why this is important is because while it is no surprise for Call of Duty to be the best-selling game of the year, it is 
borderline impossible or unheard of for anything that's not called Call of Duty to be the best-selling game of the year. And Hogwarts Legacy has a chance, potentially maybe kind of sort of, to be that game for 2023. It might be that when this year wraps and it's 2024 and you're looking in the mirror doing all the things I said you do about the mugshot face but your mother says she loves you, um, you might be saying to yourself, how the hell did Call of Duty lose out to a bunch of fucking mugbloods over across the pond. Well, I think this is this is impressive because even though obviously the more impressive stat here is that Call of Duty managed to climb its way, not even climb, claw its fucking way to the number two spot in five weeks on the market against games that had, you know, something games like Zelda. Zelda came out in like what, May? Fucking crazy, man. While while that's impressive, um, it's just really cool to see that another game could potentially win this year in terms of just overall high sales. Now I think Total lifetime sales, Modern Warfare 3 will probably be a higher selling game than Hogwarts Legacy because if Call of Duty is already at number two and Hogwarts Legacy is, you know, not guaranteed to hold on to the number one spot and Harry Potter has been on the market since February and Call of Duty has been on the market since a month ago, it seems likely to, to, to think that Call of Duty will overtake it. It's just more a matter of can can Harry Potter hold down the number one spot uh, for another, you know, 16, 17, whatever days until the year is over? Um, you know, before, before, uh, that changes. So I don't know. I think, I think that's pretty cool. It's something worth observing, uh, paying attention to, but also, you know, as we look at the top 20 best selling games of the year, a couple other games worth noting, we've got, uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 at the number, um, at the number seven spot. So best selling game of the year, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 at number seven, Modern Warfare 3 at number two. So Call of Duty in two of the top 10 spots. Insane. Um, Starfield is in the number 10 spot. And I know to some people that might sound bad, but to me, that sounds pretty good. Starfield is the 10th best-selling game of the year. It's not available on PlayStation, which is the biggest console. It's not available on Nintendo, which is the other biggest console. And the majority of people who played it, played it on Game Pass. So, the only console it's around on is Xbox. Most Xbox people didn't buy it, they subscribed. So, that's basically just PC sales. And yeah, you could get it for PC Game Pass... But I'm sure the majority of its units sold were definitely on PC. So that's pretty impressive stuff. 10th best-selling game of the year. And you're up against a bunch of games that are multi-platform or just those kinds of special games like Spider-Man or Zelda where it just has insane penetration, you know, market penetration. And you still ended up in the number 10 spot. I think that's... I don't know. I know a lot of people like to say... I understand the divisiveness about the actual product that is Starfield, but... I know people try to like rag on Starfield and say it was a flop and things like that. You, you can't argue with that. You're the 10th best-selling game of the year. You're only available on the least popular platform for consoles. And then you were the 10th best-selling game of the year despite people having access to you included in their $15 a month subscription. I, I think that – I don't know how that doesn't read as like an absolute win or a smash hit. But anyway, there's that. Um, yeah, let's see what else. Uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> Remnant 2 at the number 20 spot, not, not bad. All right, let's move on. There's nothing else to say there. All right, let's talk about – Epic Games and Google for a minute. I don't have much to say on this one, but it is uh, seemingly, you know, big news. I think it helps pave the way for Xbox in a way. So let's touch on this real quick from VGC. Google has lost its antitrust trial to Epic Games. It's this, the decision has been made uh, in, in, in this outcome could have major ramifications for app stores in the future. Epic filed a lawsuit back in 2020 for those who need a refresher, claiming that Google had created a monopoly with its Google Play Store on Android devices, with more than 95% of Android apps distributing or distributed through it. The complaint revolved around Google's insistence on taking a 30% revenue share from any app on the Google Play Store, 
along with the requirements that these apps use Google Play's own uh, billing system, meaning developers had no way of making money without going through Google. It also is claimed that Google offered lucrative deals with the device manufacturers in exchange for excluding other apps, uh, app stores on their devices. Uh, the verdict has now been delivered with the jury finding that the following. Um, there's an antitrust market on Android devices. Google willingly acquired or maintained monopoly power by engaging in anti-competitive conduct. Uh, Google entered into agreements that are unreasonably restrained or restrained trade. Uh, Google unlawfully tied the use of Google Play Store to Google uh, Play billing, and et cetera, et cetera. Epic was damaged as a result of Google's violations and antitrust, et cetera. So the reason why this is exciting is, well, not only is it just good to see kind of these giant, powerful corporations beaten up and, and, and held accountable a little bit, you know, not to say Epic Games is like some small fry guy we need to fight for, but compared to Google, they are. And it's nice to see companies like Google and Apple and Microsoft held accountable uh, for some of this shit because they are they are just a little too big for comfort. And so this is, this is nice. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is great. And I say this as an Android user. I love this more of this, please. Uh, let's do it to Apple as well. Hold these guys accountable, man. You have one. I, I, I get that. It's like, listen, Google owns the operating system. It's their platform. They should have a right, I guess, in some sense, you might argue, uh, to kind of monopolize or have a, a full say over how that ecosystem is controlled and how, apps and products are downloaded and distributed and acquired and purchased and, and stuff on there. Um, but also it's just, it's just the idea that like the, the, especially the personal cell phone, like it's, it's one thing if it's like the Xbox only has one marketplace to buy games and it's Xbox's own storefront. Okay. Whatever. It's an entertainment machine meant to play video games, but your phone is like this device. That's like, it's kind of important, you know, like you use your phone to have like your insurance cards and your social security number and your password to everything and contacts to all the people in your life that matter. And it's like, it's kind of an extension of you. The phone is, is basically an appendage that you can slip in and out of your pocket. You know, it's something you wouldn't leave the house with. It kind of matters a whole lot more than like an Xbox does. And so it just seems extra weird to take this thing that can hold all these important legal documents and all your life's records in, in one place and be like, hmm, we should let a major tech company have full control over that, you know, implicitly. And I just, uh, I like the idea of breaking these things up a little bit. So it's a, uh, it's good to see. And also I think this is relevant to the show because with, uh, with this, with this filing, with this uh, verdict being rendered, it makes it a little easier for Microsoft to do the thing we know they're trying to do right now, which is come up with some kind of Xbox app store or marketplace or hub um, on mobile devices. So this this paves the way for that inevitable in one to two years uh, Xbox app that we're probably going to get on Android. And we'll see. They're going to try to get it on iOS. I hope it happens. We'll see how that goes. Um, Apple, you know, shout out to the European Union. They've been doing a good job of uh, – uh, holding Apple's feet to the fire with some of these things. That's why you guys got USB-C now. And uh, soon Android users won't be punished for messaging iPhone users because uh, that's that's being addressed as well. So this is good stuff and hopefully helps make it easier and faster and smoother for us to get that Xbox marketplace on phones because I just love the idea of a, of a dedicated marketplace for all things gaming and Xbox on my phone. And also because, God, if, I mean, to those of you who only use iPhone, never use Android, I guess this doesn't matter to you, but uh, to all Android users, let me just say, from the very bottom of my heart, I absolutely despise the Google Play Store. It is just one of the most disgusting, ugly digital spaces to ever be in. It is absolute 
travesty. And a huge part of why I feel so stuck on Samsung devices right now, why I don't want to get a Google Pixel despite the fact that they're great phones or go back to my Surface Duo or, you know, like try another, you know, like a OnePlus or something like that is because I will take Samsung's heavily modified, heavily uh, re-aestheticized version of Android over that simple, disgusting, ugly Google version any fucking day of the week. And the Google Play Store and Google Maps to a lesser extent are like the two apps that embody that, that hatred I have more than anything. It is just so fucking ugly. And Samsung is like the only, this is so such a non sequitur at this point, but Samsung is like the only, um, the only OEM on Android that is like allowed, not really technically allowed, but has an app store of its own that is of any consequence. And even then it is still completely in the background, unnecessary, unused, ignored compared to the Google Play Store. So I, I, it's so funny. I, I'm so petty about it. Like on, on my Samsung phone, I have the Galaxy Store, which is Samsung's app store uh, as my default um, app store. And anytime I want to download an app, I, I go to the Galaxy Store app and I, uh, I search for the app I want to download. Nine times out of 10, I know it's not on there. And then I go to the Google Play Store and download it if, you know, if I can't get it first from Samsung because I just hate the Google Play Store that much. It works great. Don't get me wrong. Google Play Store, it's an amazing app store in terms of just having everything you need. It works well. It does the thing it needs to do. But it's just so fucking ugly. So the idea of an Xbox app store or marketplace on my Android phone, I love it. Bring it on. I like Android a lot. I'm, I'm kind of stuck on Android going forward. I Maybe one day I'll go back to iPhone for a little while, but... I don't foresee that happening anytime soon because I just, I'm really enamored with what I found on Android phones, but that experience has everything to do with me leaning on Samsung and Microsoft launchers, apps, um, different experiences. Like the thing I love about fucking Android, man, I swear to God, it's like I can use, I can use Samsung's voice assistant. I can use Microsoft's mail client. I can use, you know, all these different, the Microsoft Swift keyboard instead of the Google G board and all these things. So God, Google, you need to be slapped in the face. One, because you're just an evil, shitty tech corporation. Uh, and two, because you are just offensively disgusting with your UI design. At this point, I would say still peak peak UI for, for like mobile devices in the uh, modern smartphone age will be Windows Phone. May you rest in peace. Still no one can top Windows Phone. Metro design is still king. And then second place, I'd say it's what, it's what, what, uh, what Samsung's doing right now with their one UI. Although Samsung's old UI used to look like ass. And I say third place is probably Apple, but I feel like Apple's UI is kind of getting uglier and uglier. It used to be really good and it, it's kind of got, it, it got better and better and better and then it got worse and worse and worse. I mean, it's just because it's getting bloated and busy. I don't know. And then like, there's like eating rocks, falling in a pile of dog shit. And then at the very bottom is, is Google's. Oh my dude, just such a non sequitur has nothing to do, do with Xbox, but I just, I, I need to use this as a, a chance to rant a little bit about just how disgusting Google is. I mean, it's everywhere with Google. It's like, it's like every time I see someone using, um, using a uh, Chrome as their internet browser, I'm like, it, that's like my number one gripe with iPhone people. It's like, iPhone's a great phone. I don't blame anyone for having an iPhone. I don't blame anyone for having a MacBook. They're great products. Apple makes wonderful stuff. But the thing that makes me like want to become a fucking serial killer more than anything is when I see like these fucking iPhone and Mac people, but they use like Chrome as their internet browser and they use Google Maps as their map service and all this shit. And like, and their search engine is Google. I'm like, why don't you fucking buy an Android phone at that point? What are you doing, man? What are you doing? Because listen, man, Apple Maps, beautiful. 
Okay, Safari, great web browser. Or why not just use literally any other web browser? Microsoft Edge, it's much better. It's Chromium based, but it's much better. Okay, just literally just anything else. I don't get it. It drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. If we don't have to use Google, don't use Google. All right, that's uh, that's my rant, and that's why I think Xbox should make a, a Halo app on the on the uh, Android devices. Anyway, all right, this sounds like a very uh, on brand episode of Xbox on. We're very much. Um, not going over on time talking about nonsense. Speaking about nonsense, let's get back to talking about Embracer Group and their latest layoffs and studio shuttering because these 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 guys. So unfortunately, after lots of reporting, rumors, and layoffs, um, it has officially come to to an end for uh, for for. Am I saying this right? Play on, play on. Anyway, the Embracer owned games publisher. Uh, in charge of Time Splitter developer Free Radical, they have officially announced that Free Radical, the developer of Time Splitter, is closing. They've been closed. They said, "quote It's with a heavy heart that we must announce yet another difficult decision." The company said in a statement issued to VGC today, "We have uh, been able to confirm that the the official closure of Free Radical Design and say goodbye to the remarkable, talented, hardworking people. We are beyond grateful for, to the incredible contributions." Plan, uh, to play on and wish them the very best of luck and success in their professional journey from here on out. BGC reported last month that Free Radical was at threat of being closed down just two years after it was reestablished or was established as part of a huge company-wide cuts at Embracer uh, and its own publishers. Multiple developers post on social media this past week claiming that all uh, claiming that all 80 remaining staff had been let go. Um, and, and what's especially shitty about this Embracer uh, kind of collapse that we're seeing happen um, is it's not only just that Embracer is so fucking large, so so this this strain that they're experiencing is affecting so many developers. But what also sucks is you see like you see companies like um, when I almost said Bungie, but no, Bungie's been doing fucking terrible at this. So fuck Bungie. Uh, but like uh, Epic Games um, or who were the other ones that did it right? Man, was it wasn't it like the Roblox team did this or something like that, where like they had some kind of like efficiency downsizing thing where they trimmed some staff. And a lot of people lost their jobs, but they did like an amazing job at being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The people who lost their jobs are getting six months pay and benefits for another year, and we'll come over to their house and and, and cook them dinner for twenty four uh, nights of, of their selecting and all this shit. And they're just like they're, they're offering like insane benefits for insane amounts of time, and and they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're gonna try to relocate and find jobs and for for people in other places. And some some of these publishers are doing a really great job. Of of trying to relocate and help these people transition um, from from this uh, position of being let go, and I understand that some of these publishers have different resources. Not all not all publishers are in an equal you know stand right now. Um, but God, just it's so shitty to see Embracer have to go through this and 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 lay off so many people, and then not be able to really offer much of anything. Although here we don't really know much about what the severance deal is but you can't you can't assume it's all that good because embracer is clearly fucking hemorrhaging <laughs> and uh the, you know these layoffs aren't this isn't this isn't like a like a staffing optimization move this is like a this the ship is sinking let's try to you know it's like grabbing the bucket of water and trying to try to drain out the ship before while it's while it's sinking because there's a hole in the bottom of it that's kind of what's going on here so yeah, I mean we talked about this team twice now I want to say with layoffs and all there is to say is unfortunately as as we've been saying for the better part of a year hope everyone lands on their feet hope this is uh you know hope this turns out to be for the better in terms of where these uh where these 80 people end up bracer you grew too fast fuck you 
All right, last one of the opening news stories. Let's talk about Disney and Star Wars and video games. Uh, because VGC relays that Disney have commented on Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic's remake following claims that the future of the project was up in the air. Billed as a collaborative project between Aspire and production partners with Lucasfilm Games and Sony Interactive Entertainment. That's right, it was announced in 2021 as a timed PlayStation 5 exclusive. Uh, however, it was assumed that it would eventually come to Xbox. Uh, however, the remake has reportedly been uh, been marred by problems over the last couple of years. Recently, there have been conflicting reports about whether it remains in active development or not. Uh, Twitch and Axios reporting uh, by uh, an Axios reporting ha- had a quote from Disney head of gaming, Sean Shopta, Shopta, uh, in which he says, quote, not a lot I can say on the, on the project at this point for someone hope, uh, for some hopeful, uh, hopefully obvious reasons, but KOTOR is obviously an incredibly popular game. One that we are incredibly proud of and think that there's still a lot of demand for. Uh, so basically what he's saying there is like, you know, we can't speak to it too much because obviously we're, you know, we're, 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 we're not bound to discuss about this, discuss this, but clearly I think what he's hinting at is that they're looking for ways to shift the project, move it to a new team, make it happen anyway. And you might remember that the other month, um, there were rumors and reporting going on saying that the game was no longer in active development. That's what Jason Schreier over at Bloomberg was reporting. But then, uh, but then there was reporting that uh, Saber Interactive was working on the remake and that it was in active de- development, but just being shifted over. So there's a lot of like ups and ups and downs and in, in, in different exchanges of information. Maybe Aspire's Aspire's not working on it. Maybe now Saber Interactive is working on it. Maybe it's maybe it's in development. Maybe it's not. Uh, I, I assume this basically means this game is coming. It's just going to take a lot longer. It's going to get development hands shifted around and uh it's not going to be the the version that we had announced back in 2021 but i do assume that this is happening and i i don't think playstation's involvement is is relevant anymore i think this is probably going to be like a hard reset on this remake and and maybe that version will come to xbox day and date with playstation so we'll have to wait and see on that but this is also important because uh this interview with axios this 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 quoting we're getting these quotes we're getting from sean shopta uh, will will come up again in the main news as we talk about um, Indiana Jones and some Xbox stuff. So stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it's um I think it's obvious that they're going to keep working on finding a way to bring this game back. Just because it didn't work out with the Spire doesn't mean it's not going to work. Clearly, people you know the reaction was was heavy. People want Kotor to be remade and brought back. And I think there's you'd be stupid to just ignore, it, especially after that that reaction they got from the initial announcement. So that's that's pretty obvious. And I think that's what he's hinting at. It's like, hey, we're still going to do it. It's just not going to be done the way we had previously announced. And also, I just think it's really funny that this Sean guy goes, uh, he goes. Uh, KOTOR is obviously an incredibly popular game, one that we're incredibly proud of. Yeah, so Disney's head of gaming is incredibly proud of KOTOR, a game that was made uh, by Lucasfilm long before Disney owned uh, Star Wars, and uh, clearly they had absolutely nothing to do with that game's existence. I I love that shit. Love it. Kind of like how Bob Iger is so proud and so excited for the latest entry in the uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes uh, movie franchise because it's one, one of Walt Disney's favorite uh, stories was the one about the, the Planet of the Apes, and he can't wait to see the latest entry because he thinks uh, Disney fans will be surprised and delighted by seeing their favorite uh, CGI monkeys uh, take over. I, I, I've never seen Planet of the Apes. I don't know what happens, but I assume uh, monkeys are like the main um, the main race and have, and have defeated humanity in some 
epic space monkey battle. I don't fucking know. But anyway, that's it for all of our opening news stories, you guys. Uh, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic. It's disappointing for a lot of people I know, but uh, hang in there. I, I don't think that's the end of that, uh, of that game being remade and brought forward to uh, a modern market. So I wouldn't be too sad about that. Guys, usually from here, we pop on into the main news segments, but I'm going to take a little break, slow things down a bit, and uh, talk to you guys about the games I've been playing this week, because like I said at the top of the show, I'm excited about the games I've been playing, I'm excited to get into that with you guys, but I'm hungry, I I need to get fueled up before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, I got to tell you about what I've been eating, and I got a different one, I got got one out of left field, no one would have ever guessed it, okay, so... There's a place off Ocean Avenue where I used to sit and eat Red Lobsters. Uh, And Red Lobster is a chain restaurant that, uh, despite my love, my unironic love for um, slightly fallen you know, fallen off the, off the uh, popularity list of uh, these, these chain American corporate restaurants, uh, just poorly worded, but uh, Red Lobster, surprisingly one of those restaurants I've never been to. So let me try to rephrase that in a way that people who speak English might understand. Despite my love for these chain American restaurants that were super big in like the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, I've never been to Red Lobster. You, you guys know me. I'm a TGI guy. I love love my TGI Fridays. Chili's is cool. These kinds of restaurants, whatever. And they, and they, they range from all, you know, you get your steakhouse, a variety of them with like Longhorns and Outback. And then you got your shitty Italian version of these kinds of restaurants with like Carrabba's and Olive Garden. And Red, Red Lobster is just basically you're like, what if Chili's, but you know, freaking main seafood place or like, you know, like what if, what if Longhorn Steakhouse, but instead of Texas, we did the state of Maine. And instead of uh, cow goes moo, we do lobster goes clap clap. Or what, what sound does it, I guess they make, it's like, like whatever. The, the sound that a lobster makes, I guess uh, crabs make a squealing sound when you boil them alive. So there's that. And I've never been to Red Lobster, and it's for no other reason than growing up, we didn't do a whole lot of seafood. My mom says that we were picky eaters and we didn't do seafood. I don't know how true that is uh, because I grew up a pretty adventurous eater, and I've learned this in my adult life. I, I love trying new food. But seafood, especially Red Lobster, now that I've been there, I've looked at their menu. I can tell you with full confidence, there's nothing adventurous about the menu at Red Lobster. It is like fucking shrimp pasta and lobster with with fake butter and a, a, a shitty six ounce sirloin steak. So anyway, I've been to red lobster and I'm excited to tell you about it because I would never have gone to red lobster. Cause I just don't, I just don't have any enthusiasm for it. If it weren't for the fact that I, you know, I came up to my girlfriend on Friday, I texted her. I said, here's what I would like to do this weekend. It's our first weekend in a very long time that we kind of have time to do stuff. We're kind of, we're kind of mostly halfway sort of moved into the house. We don't have to go to a friend's wedding this week. We don't have to fucking install curtains in the house or do any of that weird shit. You know, it's like we can just breathe for a second and enjoy what it's like to have a cup of coffee in your own home and uh, maybe, maybe watch Netflix. And so I was like, here's what I would like to do. I would like to make dinner at home, play Xbox all day play video games. I haven't played video games in a long time. I would like to play video games. And then maybe the next day we go to Epcot for a little bit. And my girlfriend was like, okay, we can do that. And then uh, Saturday comes around. She goes, I saw a TikTok video where this guy goes to Red Lobster and they have unlimited shrimp for $25. Can we go? And I was like, what the fuck? You don't like chain restaurants. And uh, she shows me, apparently there's like a TikTok thing where people are going to Red Lobsters because they got all-you-can-eat shrimp. It's $25. I'm like, that doesn't even sound that appealing to me. Like, if it was all-you-can-eat buffalo wings, we'd be talking. But, you know, all-you-can-eat shrimp, eh, shrimp get kind of boring, especially if you're just going to go to a chain restaurant. It's going to be like, okay, fucking shrimp. What do, you, what do you want? But she insists on it. It's what she wanted to do. 
trying to be a good boyfriend for one. So I'm like, okay, we'll do it. We'll go. The, we'll go. To, we'll go to the Red Lobster. And it was kind of meant to be because uh, a, f- a friend of ours gave us a gift card as like a moving present, as like a as like a housewarming gift. And it, the gift card just so happened to only be applicable to chain restaurants that I never dine at. One of them being Red Lobster. So I was like. It's kind of like fate asking us to go to Red Lobster. So we go to Red Lobster. They got this all-you-can-eat shrimp thing. I don't. I'm not excited about it. I don't give a shit about it. I want to be at home playing Sonic Superstars, which we'll get into in a little bit. And uh, here we are, the Red Lobster. I gotta say, shout out to Red Lobster. It is definitely a victim of the same thing that every chain restaurant in America is is falling victim to, where you walk into the store and it immediately feels old and dated and sad, and you go, oh. I bet this place was a really fun place to go to in 2001. Oh, I bet this was a really nice restaurant in 1994. It has like that kind of energy. And usually these chain restaurants do one of two things. They either go like the um, like the TGI Fridays route where they just never modernize and update the store and it just permanently looks like it's stuck in 2004. Or they go like the, like the Outback Steakhouse or like a Ruby Tuesday look where it's like every five years, some fucking private equity company comes in, buys the company, tries to remodel it, try to, tries to make it modern, tries to make it look like a fucking Starbucks banged a Panera bread and then it looks soulless and shitty inside like an Apple store and then you don't like it anymore. It's one or the other, but either way, it's always sad. It's sad for a different reason, but always sad, right? And Red Lobster has that going for it in spades. You walk in Saturday night, I'm thinking, oh man, Saturday night, where, you know, this restaurant is like three miles from Walt Disney World. It's probably going to be po- freaking packed with tourists. Oh, my God. How's this going to be? We get there. Restaurant's like 20% full. It's just a bunch of old people looking for clam chowder. I'm like, oh, we're we're right at home. Here we go. It's like it's like TGA Fridays all over again. So we get sat. You know, it's like that thing where, like, the tables and the chairs and everything, it's nice. It's good wood, hard wood. made have a nice hard wood. It's sturdy. It's, it's, it's built to last, but it has that, like, worn faded chipped kind of beat up look where it's like man they need to do a a refresh on the on the hardware in here the chairs the tables it just looks sad in here and and, you know it's like the whole restaurant just has this kind of they're playing a playlist from like 1997 and i'm enjoying because i like 90s music but at the same time like oh man they can't even keep up with the it's just so sad in here you know that that kind of thing and uh, I like it. I actually like it a lot, though, because they, they do that kind of thing that, that companies used to do in, like, the 90s and stuff where they were like, let's build uh, this. I have an idea for building a restaurant with atmosphere. And so Red Lobster tries to do atmosphere. It's got, like, a, a fun, like, kind of, like, a, like a, you know, northeast beach coast Maine thing new england thing i don't know maybe jersey thing i don't fucking know you know up up north where it gets cold but they still have beaches and they sometimes eat fucking lobsters and stuff like that kind of thing like maine and it tries to go for like a little bit of like a nautical kind of uh boater theme and it looks nice it looks kind of fun i'm like okay i'm kind of into this it's like a shitty cheap version of like when disney does this kind of theming at their yacht club resort but i'm into it. it's fun so we're here bonus points for the theming and the atmosphere and the attempt and uh, and uh, let's talk about Red Lobster. Let's just let's make it quick and easy, okay? Red Lobster. I'm perusing the menu. I'm trying to think what the fuck am I gonna eat at Red Lobster? Uh, their menu's boring as hell. So I'm like, you know what? I'll I'll join you, girlfriend person. We will do the unlimited shrimp for twenty five dollars. Let's do this. Let's see what it's all about. Uh, it's fine. They give you the Cheddar Bay biscuits. I've heard the only thing I've ever heard anyone say about a Red Lobster. Oh, the Cheddar Bay biscuits are so amazing. You gotta try the Cheddar biscuits. I'm like, okay. I try the Cheddar biscuits. They're good. They're not great. They're good. They're buttery. They're salty as fuck. A little cheesy. They're soft. They're moist. They're good. But again, they're not that good. 
It's not like, oh, I need to come back to Red Lobster. These biscuits are amazing. And I've, I feel like my whole life, the only time I've ever heard anyone say Red Lobster is like, you got to have those fucking biscuits. Uh, but no, they're, they're, they weren't that good. They're, they're fine. They're, they're good. They're just not, oh, wow, you know. And then Unlimited Shrimp. I will say, credit where credit's due, Red Lobster, they try to make the Unlimited Shrimp as fun as possible. They're like, you can get fucking, like, Asian-style, sweet and spicy, bang-bang, whatever shrimp, you know, like all, all those, like, white Asian places you go to where it's, like, aimed at white people. We're like, we got firecracker shrimp. You know, they got, like, one of those. So I'm like, okay, that appeals to me, so I'm going to get a bunch of that. So I got a bunch of that. And they're like, oh, we have, like, a chicken Alfredo pasta, but instead of chicken, it's, it's shrimp. I'm like, okay, I'll get that. And they got, we got coconut shrimp. We got, we got shrimp cocktail. We got shrimp scampi. And so it's like, I'm like, okay, it's fun. You know, they got a lot of ways to try out the shrimp. And, and, and some of them come with pasta. Some of them come with rice. Some of them come with different sauces. I'm like, okay. So it's not like you're just eating fucking peel and eat boiled shrimp or some shit like that, you know? So it's, it's fun. They make it fun. Um, I, we, I try to make a game out of it. So I'm like, okay, I still don't care about it. Shrimp's not that good to me. Like I shrimp is fine. You know, I uh, you can do a lot with shrimp, but I just, uh. but, um, I try to make it fun, make a fun experience out of it. So I was like, okay, so let's just count how many shrimp we can eat. Uh, long story short, short, I ended at, I think 31, 32 shrimp. That was my max. That's what I ate. And, uh, it was, it was fine. It was good. I felt full. I felt slightly unsatisfied. Uh, but it does, it's not that feeling of like when you eat a lot of like steak or something where you're like, I'll oh, kill me, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm going to die now. So at the very least, I didn't have that feeling, but I don't know. Red Lobster food overall was like, eh, you know, unlimited shrimp, fun idea. I'd rather have all you can eat chicken wings. I'd rather, I'd literally rather just go to a buffet. Like I, I know people like to rag on buffets, but if there's one thing I've learned from being a Disney parks fan and now a cruising fan, it's that. Fuck that that sentiment, that hatred that buffets get. I love buffets, and that might be the most American thing I've ever said, and so be it. I freaking love buffets. Maybe not always, you know. I like Golden Corral in theory, but I'm, I'm afraid to go into a Golden Corral in person because they're usually pretty intimidating and scary and disgusting and so, so, so disgusting. I'm afraid to get malaria if I go into a Golden Corral, but... The general concept of a buffet, I'm a fan of, especially on a cruise ship, especially at Disney World where they have like nicer buffets, um, where the food quality is a lot higher and the cleanliness standards are significantly higher. Uh, but, you know, it's like I'd rather just pay 25 bucks to go to a decent buffet than pay 25 bucks and get all-you-can-eat shrimp because at least at the buffets, you got fucking desserts, you got pastas and soups and, and salads and you got you know, usually it's like some chicken thing, some, they got a little seafood, they got a little Italian, they got a little Chinese, they got a little of everything. And I, that's what I want. Oh dude, fucking Chinese buffets. Oh God. I, I don't know of a good one here, but one thing I miss about back home in Georgia, woo! you find either like all you can eat Chinese buffet and they're always like $12, always so, da- so damn cheap. Or you find like all you can eat Korean barbecue, red lobster. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you all you can eat Korean barbecue? No, you're not red lobster. Step aside. So, Red Lobster, shout out to you. I guess I can tick you off the list of American corporate chain restaurants that I'm obligated to try. Were you bad? No. Are there things about you I like? Yes. I like that they played No Doubt like three times while we were there. I liked the dated, old, worn, nautical theming. Uh, The servers were super nice. Uh, And, um, oh, they sell Pepsi products instead of Coke. So, that was a huge plus. First time in a long time I I got my hands on on a Pepsi Zero Sugar. So, that was nice. All right, that's it for what I've been eating. That's the Red Lobster. Now we move on into the what I've been playing. And oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. This is where I'm excited because there's two things I've been playing this weekend. This week, this weekend mostly, but this week. And uh, 
I love them both dearly. I've had such a good time finally playing video games. I finally had time to sit down, enjoy my Xbox, and it just felt so nice to get reacquainted. No, not reacquainted. I'm not playing the Nintendo Wii. Reacquainted with my old friend Xbox. First thing is Halo Infinite Firefight mode. So Firefight came out the other week. I didn't get to try it until um, this past weekend. And let me just give a, a huge... I don't know how to frame this conversation to start this, but I do want to just give a huge shout out to 343. Because every time they have done Firefight, every time they brought back Firefight, which I guess is only two times because now that I think about it, Halo 4 never had Firefight. That's so freaking weird, man. But now both times they've brought back Firefight, whether it be Halo 5 with Warzone Firefight or Halo Infinite with Firefight King of the Hill, they've always mixed up the formula. And maybe this is going to be sacrilege to say what I'm about to say. I, I am a big Firefight fan. Don't get me wrong. But... In Halo 3 ODST, the game that introduced Firefight, I think that Firefight is very, very good. It was a great first attempt. I have a lot of fond memories. My 8th grade year playing tons and tons of Halo 3 ODST Firefight. Um, Really enjoyed the hell out of that. But if I'm being honest, you know, that game, that that mode was created for ODST during a time where Horde-based modes were, like, at their peak. You know, Gears of War 2, Horde mode, Call of Duty Zombies, all this stuff, so... Even though I really love ODST Firefight, I don't think that holds a candle to Call of Duty Zombies. Not that they're necessarily one-to-one. They're just both horde modes. Uh, But, oh my god, Call of Duty Zombies all day over Halo Firefight. Uh, But that being said, I do have a a big soft spot in in love for Halo Firefight. And there's always a time and place uh, for that. And and I've enjoyed it many times before. Uh, But that said, when Halo Reach came out in 2010, I thought their version of Firefight was significantly worse than ODST's. And I don't, I don't remember what, if they call it something different, but Halo, um, Halo Reach does have significantly different firefight, and um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't nearly as fun. It was actually, what was it? It was like PVE. No, there was no P, PVP in it. I don't remember how it was different. It was like the reactor one, right? We had to like protect the reactor, I, I believe. But anyway, it was like, it was like a defense firefight in a way. But they just called it firefight. And then they had Firefight Arcade if you wanted to play like the ODST style. But either way, Halo Reach's Firefight mode was fine, but I I never liked it as much as I liked it in ODST. Um, And then that was it. We just didn't see Firefight for a long time until Halo 5 came out. I thought Halo 5's Warzone Firefight was phenomenal. I loved the way they remade that that mode where they put it in the Warzone mode, um, which for those who think Warzone is Call of Duty, no, Halo 5 had a Warzone mode. It was an awesome... um, uh, big battle mode. Uh, it was like PvPVE, and it was excellent. But they had Warzone Firefight in Halo Five, which was it was these five. It was five waves, so it wasn't unlimited waves. It was set, but each wave was significantly harder and had these mini bosses. And then on the last wave, you had a massive boss. But you played it on a condensed version of a Warzone map, so it was pretty large. And you know it was Warzone, so you could like use your rec packs and rec uh, rewards to get different weapons and, 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 and uh, vehicles and all this shit. And I, I, I personally thought Halo 5's Warzone firefight was just so much fun. In fact, it is possible that I spent more time playing Halo 5's Warzone firefight than I spent playing ODST's original firefight mode. Like I just, I really loved Halo 5's firefight mode. Um, so shout out to 343. They didn't just bring back Firefight with Halo 5, but they reinvented the wheel and they did so to great success, in my opinion. Although, of course, you know, original Firefight has more of a has more of like a name for itself and more respect from from people in general. 
Most people are stupid. Most people think Halo 2 is the best Halo game. So most people have tiny brains and don't realize that 3 and 5 are the best Halo games. So I don't care. Now with Halo Infinite, uh, 343 continues their role of outdoing themselves with Firefight. Not only that, but Halo Infinite has just been on uh, such a roll lately. Like I, I want to go back and play Modern Warfare 3 because I barely played it. It came out right around the time I moved. So I haven't had a whole lot of time to play Modern Warfare 3, and I know I like Modern Warfare 3, and I'm enjoying the multiplayer, and I even kind of like the zombies mode, but I just can't get back to it right now because Halo Infinite pulled me back in so well with this freaking Season 5 and this Halo 3 refueled playlist, and now with King of the Hill Firefight, which is so good, man. Oh my god, it's so good. So it's King of the Hill, and it's five rounds, kind of like Warzone Firefight was, but you play it on regular multiplayer maps in Halo Infinite, and it's that Halo Infinite version of King of the Hill where it's kind of like tug of war King of the Hill. And it's so fucking good. And they have, and it's just in a, it's a multiplayer playlist. You can play the regular version or you can play the heroic version if you want it to be a little more challenging. Now, I don't know. I don't think it's too hard. Like I've played it a bunch and I, I don't find it to be too hard. Like I'm not dying too often, but it is hard to complete a game or to win a game of King of the Hill Firefight because every team I get paired up with fucking sucks and they go through our life pool and they die way too quick. And it's unfortunate because I never make it past like round three. I think I made it to round four one time um, in like the in like the 10 matches I played. And it's unfortunate because I, I really like it. I think it's a lot of fun, but I just haven't found a good team yet. So I need to gather a good team so we can really beat a, a round of Firefight. But yes, Halo Infinite, uh, Firefight, King of the Hill. It's super fucking good, man. And, and you play it on... The game's official multiplayer maps. You play it on community-made Forge maps, and it's excellent. It, it reminds it, it actually reminds me instantly reminded me of what I love so much about Halo Infinite, which is that Halo Infinite, you know, for all its issues it had at launch with multiplayer with slim amount of content and just not being enough weapons and equipment and it being a little too sweaty with a skill-based matchmaking and all that. I forgot that the best part of Halo Infinite is just how good that PvE is. Uh, because, man, I mean, the, the AI is so good. The enemy variety is so good. The gunplay is so fucking satisfying. And being able to use the, the Halo Infinite sandbox on these multiplayer maps against uh, computer AI for, you know, like the, the same enemy types you fight in campaign um, in this firefight mode. It's just, it feels so good. It's so satisfying to play. They just did such a significantly better job with this than they did with uh, a, a lot of the base multiplayer stuff that this game has. So I, I'm all over it. I think it's great. I, 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 maybe it's too soon to speak, but I would venture to say it's probably one of the better firefight modes. You know, if we got ODST, we got reach, we got five and we got infinite. I don't know. I'd say maybe it's up there with Halo 5. It's it's pretty damn good. So uh, I plan on playing a whole lot more of it this week as, as I get more free time available. But yeah, Halo Infinite Firefight, good shit. Shout out to 343. You know, there's a little bit of news this week from a, a video that um, the community, um, community manager was in, the 343 community manager, where he was talking about how like there's no active development on any DLC or campaign for Halo Infinite. Uh, but we are actively hiring, kind of suggesting that they're getting to work on the next Halo game, um, which is exciting. So we kind of know that they're working on the next Halo. That Halo Infinite is just going to continue to get multiplayer support, and that's it. But whatever they have, you know, as disappointing as that is for me, because Halo Halo's story is so fucked at this point, I got to say, whatever they have done, however they've reorganized, repositioned, and whatever they've been working on to make multiplayer become as good as it has become these past few months, they got to keep this shit up. Because Halo Infinite, to me, has, has in a matter of two months, 
gone from being one of my least favorite Halo games multiplayer-wise, just from the insta-fatigue and the lack of, of maps and good diversity of maps and equipment and all that stuff, to being one of the better Halo games. I, I would say Infinite's multiplayer to me, eh, maybe it's too soon to tell. I, I don't know. I'm not going to try to rank it. But it is significantly better than it was, and I'm enjoying it a, a ton. I think Halo Infinite just has really good multiplayer. Um, probably better than Halo 4's multiplayer. I don't know if I like it as much as Halo 5 multiplayer still, but it's it's getting there. It's very, very good, and I'm just very happy for 343 and uh, grateful that they uh, stuck around and, and, and made it as good as they've made it uh, because I think Halo Infinite's a really total awesome package at this point, and it's just too bad. Like If you if you have no exposure to Halo Infinite up until now, I think you're walking into a, a superb game, and it's just so unfortunate that... You know, we had to take the path we took in order to get to here, but man, this, the, the the final product that we have right now, so fucking good. So shout out to Halo Infinite, shout out to 343, shout out to Firefight, King of the Hill mode. If you're not playing that, are you dumb? I'm not saying you're dumb, but are you dumb? Yes, you're dumb. So that's Halo Infinite. The other game I've been playing this week that we got to talk about is Sonic Superstars. Now, Sonic Superstars came out last month, came out in November. And this was a hard one for me because it was kind of surprise announced at the at the Summer Games Fest this this past summer in June, and no one really saw this game coming. But when it was announced, I was like, "Of course, it's a new Sonic game, Insta Buy, right?" But just because of the time in which it was releasing, I'm trying to budget myself. I was in the process of moving and everything. I had to make some tough decisions, and unfortunately, both Sonic Superstars and Super Mario Wonder, which are two games I was really looking forward to playing this year just didn't make the cut of games I had the time or the budget for, and so I didn't play them at release, which is odd for me, because normally a new Mario, a new 2D Mario game, new 3D Mario game, new, new Sonic game, whether it's 2D, 3D, whatever, I'm on that shit instantly. You know, it's like Mario at the Olympic Games, Mario Remake 4000 or something like that, eh, whatever. But a brand new ground-up 2D Mario game or a brand new Sonic game, that, that, got, that got me, right? So I was really looking forward to these games, ended up not getting them at launch, and have been uh, really over the past couple of weeks like itching to get to one of these. So with this past weekend gearing up, I was like, you know what, fuck it. We're moved, all this shit's done, we're out of the apartment. I, I gotta get my hand on one of these games my hands on one of these games. Like I gotta play one of these games. And surprisingly, I was actually leaning towards Mario a whole lot more than Sonic, to the point where like over the past week, I, I turned on my Nintendo Switch like three times. I never use my Nintendo Switch anymore. And I kept turning it on and going to the Nintendo eShop and be like, I'm going to download Mario. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm like, ah, I don't want to spend 60 bucks right now because I'm trying to be good. I'm trying not to spend money on things I don't need, whatever. But then I went to Xbox and I saw that Sonic Superstars was on sale for $40 instead of $60. And I had enough Microsoft reward points set up or saved up to where I could get a gift card and get Sonic Superstars for super cheap. So I was like, okay, okay, fuck it. You know, the game's a month old. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it for like 30 bucks, 25 bucks, something like that. Fuck it, let's just, let's just do it. So I pulled the trigger on Sonic Superstars despite the fact that I was really leaning more towards Mario than Sonic, but now I'm going to go Sonic than Mario just because saving money. And uh, I, th- I got it. The reason I, I give you all that preamble is to say, I got to admit, I feel pretty embarrassed and ashamed as a Sonic fan to say that I almost got Mario first and I almost was going to sleep on Sonic for a couple more months, maybe even before I bought it. Because playing this game, I instantly remembered how much I love Sonic. And it was easy for me to forget this because maybe this is sacrilege to say. In fact, I know it is because most people would say just the opposite. But I am way more a 3D 
platformer fan than I am a 2D platformer fan. It goes both ways. Like, I love 2D Mario. I love 2D Sonic. Don't get me wrong. I'll play those games. I have such an affinity for Super Mario Bros., Super Mario World, Super Mario Bros. 3. Uh, freaking, I like New Super Mario Bros. a lot, even though some people already divided on those games. I thought New Super Mario U on Wii U was really good. I love Sonic 2, Sonic 3, Sonic CD. I love uh, freaking Sonic Mania. So, like, don't get me wrong. I love... Sonic Rush uh, 1 and 2 on DS, criminally fucking underrated. Sonic Rush is so good. Oh my God, it's so good. But typically, I'm not, you know, it's like Sonic Sonic and Mario has 2D games. I like them a lot. Sonic and Mario has 3D games. I'll fucking tattoo Sonic's face on my goddamn chest. So help me God, I love it. It's, it's, ah, I go nuts. I go nuts for it. Freaking Mario Galaxy, Sonic Unleashed. Oof. Don't even get me started. Those are two of my favorite games of all time. Top five favorite games of all time. Sonic Unleashed and, and, and Mario uh, Mario Galaxy. Oh, don't even get me started. I love Mario Sunshine. You know, Sonic Frontiers last year. So good. I love I love it. Love 3D Sonic. Love 3D Mario. But when it's 2D, sometimes, you know, I, I don't get as jazzed up until I'm playing them. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God damn. 2D Mario is so good. And, and I had one of those feelings, one of those experiences with Sonic Superstars where I, it was like, a, of course I'll play Superstars. It's a new Sonic game. Of course I'll play it. But it wasn't until like I really got in, until I got to like World 3, like Zone 3 or so, where I was like, fuck, it feels really good to play a new Sonic game. And I think part of the fatigue, and I wonder if other like Mario and Sonic fans have this issue where it's like, it's like, don't get me wrong. I love the old games, but sometimes I get a little fatigued because it's like, how many times is Sega going to re-release? Oh, Sonic is now re-released in this collection. You know, they, they, they did the um, the Sonic, uh, what was the one they did like a year ago? It's Sonic whatever, uh, Man- not Mania, I forget what it's called. Whatever it's called. They, they did the collection like a year ago. Um, and then Mario's always getting re Oh, you know, it's Mario, the collection, now it's available on the eShop. Now we're re-releasing this, or it's like, you know, like all the Wii U games are coming to Switch now. And it's just like, I don't know, man, like sometimes my excitement is a little tampered by the constant re-releasing and remastering of, of these older games. But, and, and with Sonic, it's a little extra hard because sometimes they're not as good. Like they did Sonic four back in like 2010 and that, and that game is okay. It's not that good. Uh, but the, the team behind Sonic superstars really knocked it out of the park. And this game was a partnership between Sonic team, which kind of more shepherded the, the, the game and Arzest, uh, which developed the game and Arzest is a Japanese team that actually worked on the critically maligned piece of shit uh, Balan Wonderworld um, game that came out a year or two ago. That's an absolute travesty of a game. And so they they don't have a good track record. And I think aside from that, I don't remember what else they worked on. I think it's like mostly like Japanese role-playing games and stuff. But this is actually a team that's comprised of a lot of ex-Sonic team guys, guys that worked on Sonic back in the Genesis era including it's it's led by the guy who who's like kind of the father of Sonic CD. So there's a lot of like Sonic CD DNA in this game and it's actually really great. So Japanese develops 2D Sonic game, which we haven't seen in a long time, especially because Sonic Mania in 2017, despite being great, was uh, mostly Western developed by like Sonic super fans. And so it feels really weird to play this game that like actually looks and feels kind of like, well, sorry, actually feels kind of like classic Sonic but has this really nice look. I, I think it's a pretty good 2.5D game. I don't always love 2.5D, but this game does it well, where like the character models are quite good and, and some of like the zones art styles are really good. And they, they, they do a good job of making this game kind of feel like a, like a modern version of like Sonic CD, like the pause menus and some of the music and some of the background uh, uh, settings and stuff just feel very like 
loud and ridiculous, like that 90s style with all like the squiggly lines and the little pops and different colors and stuff. And so it's a very fun aesthetic the game has. Um, and then the game's really unique in that it adds like these special abilities that you get every time you unlock a new Chaos Emerald and you can play as all these different characters and there's a new character in the game and you can unlock her and play as her as well and her supersonic form is a fucking dragon which kind of looks like a furry makes me a little bit uncomfortable but she's a lot of fun to play as and like you can it has like a new game plus where you can play all the levels again but as this new character and the levels are revamped to suit her play style and her different abilities which is really fucking cool and like the level design Here's what makes Sonic Superstars especially special because the abilities you get from the from the Chaos Emeralds are a little gimmicky. There's about two or three of them that are really good and the other like four or five are just kind of like who gives a shit, you know? So there's some gimmicky stuff. I think the opening level of the game isn't particularly strong. It's kind of just paint by numbers, more Sonic. But the game, this game is special and the reason why it stood out to me so much and why I'm so into it right now is because it is a very, very, very rare Sonic game where... The more you play the game, the more you progress through the game, the better the stages get. The You hear me? The better the stages get, not the worse they get. And this is a common misconception, things that a thing that Sonic fans have to constantly explain to people. When people are like, oh, I remember the 90s. I love Sonic. I grew up on Sega Genesis. I love Sonic the Hedgehog. And people like reminisce about like 1991's Sonic the Hedgehog, the original Sonic the Hedgehog. Obviously, it's an important game. That's the game that started all. I like that game for a lot of reasons, but... The original Sonic the Hedgehog is probably the worst 2D Sonic ever made. Like, that game kind of sucks ass because you say, okay, yeah, you missed Sonic? Okay, tell me about it. What's so good about Sonic? It's like, oh, you know, Green Hill Zone. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, tell me about the next fucking zone. After Green Hill Zone, the first Sonic game turns to fucking trash. Every, oh my god, every fucking level in that game sucks ass, pretty much. Like, that that game has a good opening, an okay finish, and a pretty much just lackluster piece of shit, excruciating middle section. Like, the first Sonic kind of sucks ass. And, uh, unfortunately, a lot of Sonic 2D games do follow that, that trend sometimes, where it's like a lot of the middle levels just kind of suck ass. Uh, but the best ones don't fall into that trap, like Sonic 2 or like this one, like Sonic Superstars, where it's like actually like Zone 4, Zone 5, Zone 3, these are good. They're they're better than the zones that, that precede them, and that's that's the best compliment you can give a 2D Sonic game, where where they, they don't run out of ideas. They have fun new gimmicks, they have fun new ideas and things to play with, they have great aesthetics, they have new sound design, they have new little uh, characters, and it, all these little things, and it's... Sonic Superstars is very rich with, like, fun and novel ideas like that. I love that stuff. Like, you know, towards the end, like, the, the last zone has, like, a zero-gravity thing. And, like, um, there's, like, a pixel zone where, like, you blast... You go so fast through this, like, freaking... Um, this freaking gate, like this, like digital gateway thing, and then Sonic's body breaks into like eight, uh, into like a sixteen-bit form. So he goes from being like a two point five D three D model to being like a little sixteen-bit Sonic, and it's so fun. And then all the enemies turn into like sixteen-bit, and you can like turn into a rocket ship or a snake and like squirm your way through all these different like uh, kinds of obstacles and challenges and stuff. And it's like I, I love that shit. I love when the game gets really creative. And it's like, oh, every level will come up with new concepts, new gameplay mechanics, new visually striking ideas and fun things to play with. And it's not just like, okay, this level is the last level, but now instead of blue, it's green, and now it's harder because you're one level further than you were before. That's what games like Sonic the Hedgehog 1 do, and that sucks. But Sonic Superstars doesn't have that problem. It's like really good level design, really creative levels. Um, the Chaos Emeralds are a lot of fun to collect in this game. Some of the abilities you unlock from them are really gimmicky and stupid, and you don't really ever use them. Some of them are really fucking cool, like the Fireball. You use that shit, and you can just 
blast in any fucking direction. You find a chasm you need to get over. Instead of doing the tight platforming, you can just cheat your way across the chasm. So it rewards you the more you unlock, the more you uh, discover in the game, the more you can use these abilities that you unlock to make the gameplay easier if you want to. And I think that's a lot of fun. It adds a lot of replayability. Um, so I, I love the game. I, I ran through the campaign in two sittings, um, it, or in two days, I should say. And, uh, you know, it was about like six hours, seven hours. I, I went slow through some of the levels to find all the Chaos Emeralds. Uh, so maybe about seven hour playthrough, but you could probably do it in five. And, and I, I went, as soon as I rolled credits, I went straight back into New Game Plus, which I, I almost never touched this shit. But I went straight into the New Game Plus mode to play as the new the new girl and uh, redo it as her. And I'm having fun playing it, playing through it all over again. The one gripe I will say about this game, the one thing I, I, I objectively dislike about this game it has good boss battles. I'm not complaining about the boss fights themselves. They're they're not like amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but they're serviceable, pretty standard boss fights. The problem with the boss fights is they're very slow and the checkpoints are terrible. So like you'll fight a boss where it's like a little cutscene. You go through stage one of the boss. Stage two gets harder. You die in stage two. Okay, the checkpoint doesn't bring you to stage two. It brings you back to stage one and you gotta watch that slow cutscene thing again. And you gotta skip through this and you gotta run through that to get back to where you were. And it's a lot of that like old gameplay design of like why why are we punishing the player like this? Like we don't we don't need to do game overs anymore, which thankfully this game doesn't do. Um, but we don't we also don't need to do these slow progressive boss battles where it's like two or three phases, and every time you die you go back to phase one. It's like what? That's just stopping the fun. You know, it's not. I, I, maybe some people like the challenge, but it has that like that super Japanese feel where it's like oh you're making this hard because you can, and it's like kind of annoying. And so, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say that the boss battles are hard, but it's like, they test your patience a little bit. The good news is, and this is especially relevant to the last boss in the game, it's not like that throw your controller against a wall, I fucking hate this game, it's so hard, like Sonic the Hedgehog 4 Part 1 has, where it's like, you want to break your fucking Xbox, um, because it's so hard. None of the boss battles are like that, but some of them are like, you know, it's going to take me 15, it's going to take me like 8, 10, 15 tries maybe to beat this boss, but... Every time you you play, you, you're like, okay, I'm a little better. I feel like I feel like I got it next time. You know, one more time. I died and it was fair. I di- I know why I died. That's my fault. I'll get it next time. I'll get it next time. So it has that like encouraging, keep going kind of thing. I think that people love so much about like Souls Souls games and stuff. Um, I get that feeling sometimes with like older, more like old school style games or arcade style games where it's like, okay, I'll get better at it. I'll do it next time. So this game has that feeling, which is a fun feeling to have, but also sometimes the boss f- fights. They just feel a little longer than they need to be. Um, also, uh, this game is just a testament to to how much I've learned about <laughs> myself as as a gamer over the years. Because as a child, I would remember getting stuck on a last boss, like the one in this game, and getting so fucking pissed off. I'm like, ah, I'm gonna spend three hours playing this, and I'm not gonna beat the boss. I'm gonna be so mad. But uh, after I after I died like ten times on the last boss, I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? Because I know I'm close. I can feel it. Like I kind of got it. But I'm getting a little frustrated, but I'm but I know I got this. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna force myself to get off. I'm gonna go to sleep. Tomorrow I'm gonna come back to this and I'm gonna I'm gonna try one more time. And I did that and immediately, like the next day, I beat him on my second try. I was like, okay, cool. When I was a kid, I would have thrown my fucking controller at the wall. Now that I'm older, I'm like, all right, I got this. <laughs> Take a deep breath. So anyway, uh stupid anecdotes aside, Sonic Superstars, I like it a lot. I, I had a really good time with it. Um, any other gripes I would say about it? Just that the music is okay. Like the main theme is pretty good. Um, it's weird cause it's got music from T loops and, uh, the, the what's his name? Jun song, the son, the, the guy that does all the fucking 
uh, kick-ass Sonic songs that everyone loves from like Sonic Adventure series, like Live and Learn and all that stuff, and it doesn't matter. So like he does um, a lot of the music for this game, but it's not like cool rock music. It's like he does like 16-bit retro Genesis style music for the game. And none of it's particularly bad, but none of it is particularly stand out. And that's kind of a weird criticism to have of a Sonic game because traditionally the number one thing Sonic games do best is is their music. But um, yeah, this is probably one of the weaker Sonic games in recent history as far as the soundtrack goes. It's it's not bad, but it's not particularly special or memorable. It's like, I don't know, it's like playing a Mega Man game, you know, where it's like, you know, every now and then there's a, a track in a Mega Man game. You're like, oh, that's a pretty good song, but like... I don't know. When I play Mega Man, I'm not like, oh, the fucking music in Mega Man is banging. You know, like Sonic games are usually like, ah, everything. Like I listen to Sonic music every, almost every fucking day of my life. I have Sonic music in the background all the time. If I'm writing, if I'm working on the computer, if I'm at work and I need to just chill out, I'm getting a little stressed out or something. I need to just zen out. Always Sonic music in the background. Always. If it's, if it's not jazz, if it's not my weird emo music, always Sonic music, man. But uh, this game I don't know that I'll be adding too many of these tracks to my Sonic playlist because none of it was particularly standout. Um, maybe maybe the main theme, and that's about it, honestly. But uh, anyway, Sonic Superstars, pretty good stuff. I'm um, looking forward to playing more of it, and then hopefully we'll get to Mario sooner rather than later. I'm still, I I, I know if if you've pl- if you're listening to this podcast and you've played Mario Wonder, I know, I know, I know. Apparently, Mar- Mario Wonder is like absolutely superb, possibly the best 2D Mario of all time. I don't doubt it. I'm very much looking forward to playing it. And I still, if anything, playing Sonic Superstars has only got me even more excited about playing Mario Wonder because I'm like, damn, I, I, I sometimes, sometimes I get so consumed by Xbox and shooters and all the mature rated games. I play, you know, my Call of Duty, my Halo and all that, that sometimes I forget. It's like, I also really just love the simplistic comic mischief, fun family, Mario jump on a Goomba and, and he goes, let's go kind of stuff. And like, that's the, that's the bread and butter gaming. You know, that's the stuff I grew up on. And I was raised on. I love it. And, uh, Sonic superstars reminded me of how much I love that shit. And, uh, I, I definitely want to get to Mario wonder. So that's, that's high on the list, but also, um, there's so many games to do. I want to play the new avatar game. Uh, I want to play Atlas fallen really bad. That's probably dude. Give it like another week. We'll have that end of year sale. So much shit on Xbox is going to be on sale. Whew, you got budget for it, man. There's going to be some many many a game to play. Uh, but anyway, that's it for what I've been playing. Uh, lots, of, lots to talk about with Red Lobster and the video game. So let's take a quick break, get into the main news, and uh, we will continue on with the podcast. All right, let's jump right into the news. Uh, not too much this week. In fact, literally just two stories to go over. But again, it is that time of the year, so... I feel like we're making the most of it. The podcast is already well over an hour long, and all we've really talked about is Red Lobster and Sonic the Hedgehog. So, you know, I I think we're still getting a lot of mileage out of the episode. But with that said, let's jump into our bigger of two news stories to go over this week, which is that uh, Game Pass, Microsoft exploring uh, the possibilities of offering a Game Pass uh, tier that is free, but uh, paid for with with ad revenue. So like like a free ad based version possibly. All right, let's get into it. From VGC, Microsoft is exploring the possibility of offering access to Game Pass in exchange for viewing of advertisements. Xbox's chief financial officer, Tim Stewart, recently told attendees at a Wells Fargo TMT summit that the company wants to bring Game Pass to every screen that can play a game. One potential method of expanding the service's reach is that he or that he floated included offering ad-supported game streaming to players in emerging markets. Quote the vision, I like to talk about is uh, we have xCloud game streaming. So you can subscribe to Game Pass Ultimate and you can stream hundreds of games So really, uh, to really any endpoint uh, that has a, a browser experience, Stuart said, as reported by TweakTown. 
quote, for models like Africa or India, Southeast Asia, maybe places that aren't console first, you could say, hey, do you want to watch 30 seconds of an ad and then get two hours of game streaming? Africa is, you know, 50% of the population is 23 or younger with growing disposable income base, all with cell phones and mobile games, not a lot of high-end disposable income, generally speaking. So we can, with our own business models and say, there's a, there's millions of gamers we would never have been able to address, and now we can go in with our business model, uh, end quote. Windows Central also claims to have viewed evidence of such business models being uh, potentially reached a, a production reaching a production stage ahead of its po um, possible introduction next year. Security researchers, uh, researcher Tile OS is reported to have recently shared code snippets from the Xbox OS that reference offering 15-minute blocks of Game Pass access on an earned time basis. It was also claimed last year that Microsoft had been surveying players about the possibility of introducing a cheaper ad-supported tier Game Pass. Um, so this is definitely not the first time we've seen this idea floated. You'll remember um, maybe, I want to say two years ago, maybe it was a year ago, Phil Spencer was talking about this. He was talking about he was on like a public bus or something like that or an airplane or something somewhere. And he was talking, he was mentioning the same markets. He was talking about like Africa in particular, in particular, I believe, where he's talking about like being on a bus or a plane where you know, it's like, oh, watch uh, watch this 30-second ad and then watch, you know, you can watch this TV or have this interactive experience or whatever. And talking about how he's like, well, why don't we just apply that model to Game Pass? Couldn't we do something like that? Um, and, and immediately, it's like I, the first I saw this, I was like, well, that would have to be for like an emerging market or for, you know, somewhere where console gaming isn't big. And then immediately, that's exactly where Tim Stewart in this instance starts talking about because he's like, he's like, oh, you know, like maybe in like uh, Africa and parts of like India and stuff where console gaming isn't big, but gaming is blowing up thanks to like the mobile market. Cause it's exactly that where it's like, bro, can you imagine telling an American like gamer like, Oh yeah. Yeah. A guy who grew up playing like Xbox and PlayStation and Nintendo and stuff like, yeah. Yeah. So it's game passes is free, but what you gotta do is you gotta watch ads every 15 minutes. It's like, fuck you. No one's, no one's going to want that because I mean, we already complain enough about, ads on our on our seven minute YouTube videos like how the hell are you gonna get someone to want to <laughs> enjoy ads while uh, while playing a video game you know nonetheless um but in markets where people are used to mobile gaming and free-to-play games and things like that where the business model is all about watch an ad watch an ad watch an ad obviously that's you know this is a, a much better market to try and target at. the thing the thing is I don't understand how you make this viable because the cost of operating something like game pass is so expensive like streaming that streaming that technology and then licensing those games and stuff and giving that to a market you can't i don't know how you make your money back by just being like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. watch a watch a 30 second ad and we'll let you play halo infinite for two hours streamed it's like i don't i i know nothing about the financials of how that would work but it's like how would how would you ever make money off that that doesn't make sense to me at all but again, maybe that has uh, maybe that it's an attrition thing where if you can penetrate enough of a, a market that maybe that does make sense or maybe that they haven't crunched the numbers and found a way to make sense of it. But they think that um, they think that there's a way to explore, explore that kind of avenue and that they're just giving an example by saying like, oh, where's the 30 second ad and then play Game Pass for two hours. But man, that just sounds like a, like like kind of a terrible experience, but also a, a really great way to get your streaming service into, you know, in front of many millions of people around the world who don't have the affinity for gaming, um, the way we do it, you know, here in, in specifically the Western world with, uh, with, uh, the likes of Xbox and PlayStation and all that. So 
I don't know, man. I don't think this is something they'd ever try to bring to like to like most of Europe or or to North America or like Australia or Japan. I don't really see this working anywhere like in those kind of more traditional console markets. Um, but I could I could absolutely see them trying to do this in in India in particular is the one that popped into my mind. But they mention also Africa and stuff like that. Um, you think about like where like in India how Disney has like that Disney Star, which is like basically like Disney Plus, but it's like a fucking dollar a month or something like that. Um, whereas you know we have to pay like eight twelve dollars or whatever for our various streaming services. Um, so I, I I think that's the idea. It's just um, they they think that they can make more money in ad revenue or at least enough to make up for the cost of streaming to that market of having that infrastructure to stream to that market and then expose that market to your product, which may in turn make money in other ways or have them pay to subscribe to game pass or something, which I guess makes sense. But the amount they would pay to subscribe to game pass, well, they wouldn't pay to subscribe to Game Pass. You know, I guess I guess the idea is get them in the door with the free thing and then have them pay to not have the ad viewing experience. But I don't know, man. That sounds that sounds very. It's like one of those things where it's like that sounds really intriguing on paper, but it's like I don't know that that would ever work. I mean, they got they got to try because right now Microsoft's thing is they got to grow these Game Pass subscription numbers, and because uh, they're they're flat as hell. And I guess this is a way you could maybe start to get more people on Game Pass. Although I don't know how you how you how you count that with a with a subscriber if it's just people accessing Game Pass for free, but that's a whole other other can of worms there. I, I will you know tally it. That's the, now the second time we've had that happen. We've had Phil Spencer talk about it, now Tim Stewart's talking about it, and uh, Windows Central's reporting that we might see some form of this be implemented over the course of the next year. So I would I would look out for that story. I'm very interested to see, really more than anything, just kind of how that plays out for them. Like if if people even take to it. So that the only other news related topic we have to talk about is uh again going back to that axios interview that sean shoptow did uh, from disney head of gaming um with uh you know in, in regards to some disney related games he talks about some indiana jones stuff and, and we can talk about that here so from vgc disney's gaming boss has discussed the decision to make bethesda's upcoming indiana jones game and xbox console exclusive while the untitled game was originally set to come to playstation uh it was earlier confirmed that in the year that it will be an Xbox and PC exclusive, a day one Game Pass title. The terms of Disney's agreement with Bethesda were renegotiated after Microsoft acquired um, parent company ZeniMax Media for $7.5 billion in t- 2021. Disney's head of gaming, Sean Shaptow, told uh, Axios that, quote, with Xbox still being one of the biggest marketplaces for games, we didn't feel like we were going to be overly exclusionary. We felt like it's still going to be a reach or it's still going to reach a broad set of folks. And we felt financially and strategically for the game that that made sense at the time. And quote, announced back in January 2021, Indiana Jones is in development by Machine Games, the Swedish studio behind the Wolfenstein series. Now, I, I don't have much to say about this other than to just flat out put it like this. Disney doesn't give a shit about being exclusionary with their content. Look at Marvel's Spider-Man. They would do it in a heartbeat. It's about the money for them. And when they say that the contract was renegotiated when Microsoft took over Bethesda, all that means is Microsoft threw a lot of money at Disney. Disney turned a blind eye and said, fuck PlayStation. We got the money we wanted. Enjoy this game as an Xbox and PC exclusive. And that is all that that means. I I don't know how that could be interpreted literally any other way possible um, because Disney does not give a shit about making their games exclusionary. They care about making money off the games 
And in this case, they will make money because the game itself will make money selling on PC and getting Game Pass revenue. Um, and also, and more importantly, that big chunk of change that Microsoft is paying Disney in order to get this Indiana Jones license to have this game and to make it a, a, an Xbox exclusive. So, yeah, I don't, you know, the, let me go back to the quote. He says, uh, Xbox, with Xbox still being one of the biggest marketplaces of games. I mean, I guess so. It's at the bottom of the list. It's smaller than Nintendo, smaller than PlayStation. It's smaller than Steam. I mean, at that point, it's like, yeah, we're really talking to like, I don't know, we're talking about like, what, like freaking Epic Game Store, freaking NVIDIA GeForce. Like, I, what, what, are you, what are you even talking about at that point? It's like, there aren't, there aren't many players out there. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're one of the bigger players, sure, but like, they're definitely like in last place. So <laughs> you are objectively excluding a lot of people by not putting this game on PlayStation, which is fine if that's the decision you want to make as a business, but like, let's not be coy about it, you know? That being said, I mean, obviously, this is a good get for Xbox. Um, in, in either direction, I, I'm, I'm never going to champion the idea of, like, taking access of a game away from people. Um, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, Indiana Jones, Xbox got a big one. I mean, if they did get a big one, this is good for Xbox, but I'm not going to sit here and be like, fuck yeah, it's so awesome. Disney and Xbox teaming up to keep games away from PlayStation players. I'm, yeah, I'm just not going to not gonna take that stance. So I, I wish I could play Spider-Man on my Xbox, and I wish PlayStation players could play indie on their playstations um but of course because this is an xbox podcast and we have to analyze this from the perspective of what's going on in the world of xbox this is great news for xbox this is a really great get but i still stand by what i had said last year following the game awards when when they announced blade which is that don't get me wrong like i'm interested in blade i'm interested in in uh in indiana jones um but i can't help but feel like indiana jones and blade are both a far, far cry from the likes of like, we got Spider-Man. Like the only, uh, I'm telling you, man, it's like Xbox needs, it's, it's, it's almost like an impossible task, right? Cause it's like, what else does Disney have that could really rival Spider-Man? And the answer is Star Wars. But the problem is Star Wars has a lot of video games these days and it has a lot of movies and TV shows and things like that. And it's divisive. Like, Spider-Man's in a good place. Like, if a new Spider-Man movie comes out, people are excited for that new Spider-Man movie. If a new Star Wars movie or show comes out, people are just jaded as hell. And they're like, all right, how are they going to fuck it up this time, you know? And if another uh, Star Wars game comes out, you know, most Star Wars games in recent history have been pretty good. But the thing is, it's like, it's not that exciting. Because it's like, yeah, I mean, Respawn's making some good Star Wars games. Um, Ubisoft's got a a cool-looking Star Wars game on the way. Um, you know, the Battlefield guys made a couple of Star Wars games not too long ago. It's like, we, yeah, we get a lot of Star Wars games. So it's kind of hard because it's like, if there weren't a lot of Star Wars games coming, if a Star Wars game was a huge deal that like, oh man, we haven't gotten a Star Wars game in a long ass time. Who's going to make that? You know, if like, if Xbox could have landed something like that, like, oh yeah, 343 is making a, is making a Star Wars game. And that would have been like, whoa, you know, but I don't know. It's like Blade, Indiana Jones. It's like, this is, um. It's good. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm excited for these games. I know people are excited for these games, but these games aren't gonna fucking come close to to pulling the kind of attention and being the win for Xbox that Spider-Man was for PlayStation. And uh, that's the thing they gotta go after. So, man, I mean, if they dude, if they could have got Hogwarts Legacy, can you imagine? Best-selling game of the year. All right, that's uh, that's gonna do for all of our news this week. Yeah, I, I told you, it's super super light. Don't have much to go over. So we do have the important enough news stories. So let's talk about those real quick. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. So we got like three or four of these. So let's just uh, rattle them off. Starting with Call of Duty. 
Activision's confirmed uh, plans to offer a free Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 multiplayer weekend trial. Xbox and PC players can enjoy the content from December 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern time until December 18th at the same time. Uh, during that time, you'll be able to access a number of the game's remastered maps, uh, as well as the brand new Season 1 map, Meat, which is a slaughterhouse set in California's Port of Oakland. Three ground war maps are also available, as well as the war mode and zombies mode. So uh, enjoy that if you haven't played Modern Warfare 3. Maybe get in for a weekend, see if you like it. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's good multiplayer, so I think it's worth a try if you haven't played it. Uh, next up, VGC relays that peripheral maker PDP has teased plans to launch a new guitar controller for the, for music games. The company, which last produced uh, music controllers for harmonics as Rock Band 4, ceased production of the peripherals some years ago. Uh, the post includes uh, on, on Twitter, they posted an image of a silhouette of a guitar uh, to this backdrop that had uh, emojis all over it that seemed to reference uh, the recently launched Fortnite Festival mode, which was developed by Epic owned Harmonics team, the former creators of rock bands. Um, and for those who don't know, I don't know if you've seen this, but Fortnite's going really hard on these new games that they're releasing in the Fortnite store or whatever you want to call it. And uh, one of them that came out this past week is called. It's called um, Festival. It's called Fortnite Festival Mode. It's basically just what if Rock Band or Guitar Hero, but in Fortnite. Um, and it doesn't support controllers like Guitar Hero controllers yet. It's just regular controllers right now. But they promised to add support for uh, controllers sometime in early 2024, which means hypothetically you'll be able to like take your Guitar Hero or Rock Band controller, plug it up to your Xbox, and in Fortnite basically play a new version of Rock Band, which is crazy. And now this peripheral maker that made the uh, controllers for Rock Band 4 is tweeting and teasing that hey we're gonna we're gonna make a new controller uh a, a, you know a new uh, guitar controller to celebrate this Fortnite festival mode which sounds fucking awesome i actually really want to try this out because i missed guitar here in rock band and it'd be really great to try this so all right and lastly uh, bandai namco has announced plans to release a tekken 8 demo this week fans will be able to sample the game when it will when it hits playstation 5 on december 14th and then for Xbox and PC fans via Steam, they'll be able to try the demo on December 21st. Uh, it, it will include the first chapter of the game's story, The Dark Awakens, plus a local versus fighting mode. I'm actually kind of interested in trying this, but yeah, Tekken's not my thing, so I'll probably fall off it quick. But yeah, good for those who are uh, interested. All right, guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. Now we make it to the final segment of the podcast. You have made it to the last boss of the Xbox on podcast. Let's see if you can survive. Uh, you know how it works. You head on over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast or at Xbox on podcast at youtube.com. And you click on the latest episode of the podcast. You can click like thumbs up, whatever the hell it is. Subscribe, uh, leave a comment. You can say anything nice, anything mean or anything in between. I don't give a shit. Say whatever you want. It's all your decision to make. Regardless, I will probably read the podcast, the comment on the podcast, unless it is something really heinous and offensive, uh, which we really haven't come across in the past. I don't think we've had to do that. So thankfully, uh, thankfully that hasn't happened. Hopefully you aren't the one to change that. Uh, but, you know, leave a comment. Be nice. And hey, if you're listening on a podcast service, feel free to just go ahead and slap a five star review on there. Listen, how many of your favorite Xbox podcasts are posting episodes around the holidays like I am? Not many of them. That's why I thought these lazy motherfuckers take time off to go spend time with their families and to go give their kids a proper Christmas. I'm doing air quotes if you're not watching the non-existent video version of the podcast. And, and, and you know, I don't do those things. I neglect my children. I neglect my family. I don't put them first. I put you guys first. And so I'm sitting here in, in my 
newfound Xbox on office room. And I am, uh, I'm, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. Please give me a goddamn five-star review. And if you're thinking to yourself, Jesse, listen, hey, guy, I like your podcast just fine. But I don't know if I'd give it five stars. In fact, I personally think it's a four-star podcast. And here are the couple things I think you could do to make it a five-star podcast. Hold your horses right there, Jonathan. I don't give a shit how you think I could improve the podcast. I'm not asking you for constructive criticism. I'm asking you to give me a goddamn five-star review. So why don't you keep your comments to yourself? Keep the suggestions for your job, and maybe your boss will think, hey, maybe this guy's worth investing in and offer you a handsome promotion. And for me, you can just leave me a five-star review and say, great podcast, in fact, best podcast, in fact, fuck all the other podcasts, and then go out and list all the other Xbox podcasts that exist and be like, these podcasts are less than signed Xbox on. And then everyone who sees your comment, which will probably be many people because they like your comments, will be like, wow, Jesse DeRosa must do good Xbox podcasting. And then they will all flock to my podcast. My numbers will go up. And then I will quit my day job because I will get so much money from HelloFresh that I will be like every week, guys, I want to tell you about what I've been playing. But first, I'm going to tell you about what I've been eating sponsored by Hello fresh and you'll be like oh my god he's sponsored which means clearly he's a successful human being let me go double check his podcast and confirm this information and you'll go to itunes and you'll go to podcasts you'll search xbox on you'll see five star rating you'll be like yup that confirms it all right and it'll all be thanks to you you when you took the five minutes or less to leave me a five star review that's a one star per minute so make sure you don't take three minutes or I will get a three-star review and I will get in big trouble. So thank you all so much for participating, for listening, for understanding. And like I said, don't be kind. Rewind. Uh, no, that that leave a five-star review. Just, just do it. All right. Schizophrenic rambling aside, I do want to make one quick announcement before we get into the comments. It's that time of year. We do it every year here on the Xbox On Podcast. The last episode of the year for 2023 will be on December 28th. It will go live. That's the last Thursday of the year, December 28th. And in typical Xbox on tradition, um, fashion, I should say, we will use that final episode of the week to do our favorite games of the year. We don't do a typical game of the year episode. It's usually favorite games played of the year. So every year what I do is I have a special episode. Usually I'm accompanied by a guest and then we talk about our top five game. Whoa, let's try English. Our top five favorite games that we played throughout the year. Um, the rule is it does, or just to clarify, does not have to be Xbox game. Does not have to be a game released in 2023. It is just the top five favorite games that you your you know your favorite your five favorite games you played during the calendar year of you know in this case in 2023. And then uh, you know we go over it. So. I'll be doing that podcast on the 28th. It'll go live. Um, and the reason I'm bringing this up to you right now is because that podcast relies heavily on audience interaction, audience feedback. So if you could wade through all my schizophrenic rambling long enough to get to this point, uh, what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm getting on my hands and knees and I'm asking you, the audience, will you write in with your five favorite games you played this year so that we can have this dialogue? So I can share my games. You can share your games. Hopefully we'll have guests on the show and they can share their games. And I think this will be a, a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing it the past couple of years, and I look forward to doing it again this year. Spoiler alert, you will definitely see Alan Wake 2 and Starfield on my top five list. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's fun. You could be like, hey, my favorite games I played this year, I played Baldur's Gate, I played Hogwarts Legacy, I played Starfield, 
I played Ratatouille, the, the, the video game on Xbox 360 released in 2007. And I played uh, freaking uh, Dead by Daylight because I'm still addicted to that game. And, and I'd be like, oh, cool. What a great selection of games, you know? And then we'll read about them. And if I if I don't like the games you've selected, I'll make fun of you. And if I do like the games you've played, then I will, I, will, I will praise you for it. And so you can look forward to my everlasting love in that regard. So, yeah, I think it'll be fun. So drop a comment with your top five favorite games you played this year. And uh, hopefully on the 28th, we'll have lots of write-ins to go over. But with all that said... Let's jump into the comments. We got a little bit of a hodgepodge going on here. So Cronky writes in, he wants to talk about that Phil Spencer interview from last week with uh, Windows Central. And he says, Phil Spencer interview where he said that Xbox would be untenable if they don't expand into mobile should be a terrifying red flag for any fans of the brand. Microsoft tracks records, uh, or sorry, Microsoft's track record for jumping into established markets like Windows Phone and Mixer isn't great. So when the initiative fails, what does that mean? That Xbox is now untenable? They bought Bethesda or Obsidian and are no longer allowed to tap out of the game, uh, out of gaming. Uh, you don't want to see them tap out because you love Bethesda and Obsidian too much. Okay, I agree, but I also disagree because you know what was another market that X, that Microsoft tapped into that was already established um, the home console market. And you could, I guess, make the argument: well, there was space in the market because Sega had just fallen out. Yeah, but not exactly. I mean, Nintendo and PlayStation would have been just fine without Sega, uh, but Microsoft made it work, you know, and it doesn't always work. And I think you're right. They have more failures than they have successes. Rest in peace, Zune. Rest in peace, Windows Phone. Rest in peace, Mixer. Rest in peace, uh, Windows Phone. Uh, rest in peace, Windows Phone again, because I love you so much, Windows Phone. I miss you, Windows Phone. Um, but, but I don't think if their mobile initiatives fail that Xbox is necessarily over. I don't think if... I don't even think if Game Pass fails necessarily that Xbox is over because I think they would. I don't think it will come to this, but I think if Xbox had to do a last ditch effort, like if everything with Game Pass failed and they had to try to get rid of Game Pass and go back to a pre-2017 world where Game Pass didn't exist and be like, oh, guys, it's just regular Xbox or games cost $70 and you can buy them on the most powerful console in the world and we don't have a subscription service at all. You know, if like they tried to go back to that, I think they would try to do that before they would just throw in the towel and give up on Xbox. Um, just because even though Xbox is never going to surpass PlayStation, it's probably just not going to happen. Xbox is a lucrative business for them to be in. They make money with Xbox. Like it's not unlike Windows Phone, um, unlike Mixer, it makes money. It's not like just a hemorrhaging, like loss leader. Maybe someday it will be popular. You know, it's not, it's, it's a Xbox is more like, is more like Bing than it is like Windows phone. Let's put it that way. You know, Bing is not going anywhere. Bing makes money. It's profitable. It goes, it makes a little bit more money every quarter than it did last quarter, but it by no means is about to dethrone Google as a search engine, but it makes enough money and grows just enough to justify its existence, even though it will never, ever, 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 ever come close to beating Google. It makes money, you know? It makes enough money that they, they, they care about it. So, I don't know. I, I just think Xbox is established enough and profitable enough that Xbox or Microsoft is going to try to keep it alive as best they can. And if one huge aspect of it bombs and fails... I don't think that spells the end for the whole kit and caboodle, if that makes sense. God, I hate that I just said that. Okay. Uh, all right. Mr. Mound wrote in and says, Jesse, when we die, we should have our bodies uh, used to plant trees right next to each other, Jesse. 
Mr. Malg, I have no problem with that, just as long as my cat can be there as well. Um, also, just to clarify, cremate me, do not bury me. Cremate me, do not bury me. Do not bury my fucking corpse in the ground. Cremate me. I swear to God. I feel like what's going to happen to me is like I'm going to die <laughs> and get cremated like 48 hours before. They're like, scientists have officially confirmed uh, that if a body has only been in the ground for like, you know, less than six months, uh, they have a new technology where I can just zap your fucking body and bring you back to life. And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. What about people who are cremated? Uh, tough luck. You know, I feel like I, I think about that all the time. It's like I want to be cremated because I don't want to be buried in the ground. But also, I'm afraid that if I get cremated, they're going to come up with a solution to just zap dead bodies back to life. But I'll be too busy being cremated to be eligible for that program. So please, Mr. Malg, help me out with this. Uh, but yeah, the trees, the us, and the trees thing, I have no problem with that. But again, my cat better be there too. All right. Uh, let's move over to Tim R. Who writes in and says, Congrats on the house, man. It may sound weird, but I think stairs are the shit when it comes to houses. For some reasons, for some reason, having a second level is really nice. Uh, dude, actually, I actually, actually, man, I, I agree uh, entirely with that. It's It was actually insanely important to us to try and find a house that had stairs that had a second floor because that very reason is such that need to compartmentalize. Like it's when everything's on one floor, like that, the, the house I grew up, my childhood home was one floor. And I always hated it as a kid. Cause I was like, ah, man, all my friends houses, they have two floors. And I liked it because I'm like, it just, it feels like you're in a different place. It's like, okay, the bedroom is upstairs. The living room is downstairs. The kitchen is downstairs. The, the, the freaking other bedrooms upstairs. I don't know what goes upstairs bedrooms. Right. But I, I don't know, there's just something about it I like because it's like, it feels very, like, this is here, that is there. Like, you know, you don't put the fucking, the Burger King in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Walmart. You put the Walmart here and the Burger King there. Although I guess some Walmarts do have like a McDonald's or a Subway in them. So maybe that's a bad example. I don't know. I just like having a place for everything and everything in its place. When everything's on one floor, it just feels like a fucking hodgepodge of shit together. And, uh, and I didn't like that as a kid growing up in my parents' house. And I said to myself, one day when I buy a house... I'm going to make sure there's a second floor. That's actually insanely hard to find in Florida because in Florida, almost every home is one story. So I'm glad we found it. It's a, it's our cute little tiny home, but we got upstairs with our bedrooms downstairs with our living room. And I get my own little room where I get the, where I get to sit around my boxers and the neighbors maybe can see me from across the street. Cause I don't close the window and I don't care. There's no kids in this neighborhood. It's okay. It's all 18 up. It's all good. I'm not peacocking or nothing. But uh, yeah, before I get absolutely destroyed by um, some government organization for podcasting like this, let me let me continue on with your comment. You said, oh, and thank you for the congratulations. I appreciate you, man. You said, when it comes to Game Pass, I know that <laughs> Xbox says that it improves sales for games in general and not just the subscription. I wonder if one of the benefits is putting it in uh, on other platforms is that customers who want to buy the full game will then have to go to Xbox to uh, to play the purchase, their purchase. Yeah, that's a that's a decent decent idea. That's a decent point. Uh, I get. I, I, I suppose you could think about it that way, where it's like maybe a PlayStation player who doesn't own an Xbox could get some like specific uh, PlayStation version of Game Pass, and it's like, oh yeah, I played Halo Infinite on PlayStation through Game Pass, and then maybe they're like, oh, I want to go play. I want to go own the game, or I want to go have it for myself. It's like there's nowhere to do that other than Xbox. I suppose. I just I just feel like the majority of people care more about simply having access to something than they do to owning it. I know gaming is a little different because like in the movie space, like 
the overwhelming majority of people don't give a shit about whether or not they own the Blu-ray for Saving Private Ryan. They just want to watch Saving Private Ryan. So if it's on Netflix or Amazon or you got to rent it or whatever it is, it's like you just go where it's available and you watch it. And then there's always that small base of people who are like, no, I have to own the Blu-ray and watch it in the highest fidelity. So when Ryan's privates get dead, I can see it in, in maximum fidelity. And it's like, that's kind of a niche. Gaming works that same way, but I feel like that base of people that want to own is bigger. But in general, I think once it comes to Game Pass and Xbox is proving this more and more every day, I think generally speaking, people just want to have access. Like, I'm kind of mind blown that I don't own Halo Infinite. It's the only Halo game I've, I haven't purchased. And it's because I'm a Game Pass subscriber. Why would I go buy Halo Infinite? I just play it through Game Pass, but... I don't know. Maybe, maybe that is a part of it because I know there is a there there's a base of people that are so OCD and they they have to own for the collection or maybe a game leaves Game Pass at some point and uh, you know you want to keep playing it and so you have to go buy it. But if it's an Xbox only game, then you gotta go on Xbox. But I don't know if PlayStation would want that version of Game Pass ever to be. On. I mean, they don't want Game Pass at all, but especially that version. I don't know if they'd ever agree to that because. It's so obvious what they're doing there at that point. We're just trying to fish people over to Team Xbox, and um, I don't think PlayStation would allow that. But I, it's an interesting point. I just, I don't know. I, I guess I'd have to gnaw on it a bit more to f- try and figure out what else there is to say. Uh, you also said, side note, Keurig is objectively the worst type of coffee. You know they sell caffeine pills if you're really hard up. All joking aside, Keurig is super convenient. And if you're using a ton of creamer and sugar anyway, I guess it doesn't matter. You could also have choc- uh, chocolate milk at that point. Well, I don't use a lot of coffee and creamer. I use a spoonful of sugar and a, and uh, depending on the day. Some Sometimes it's a spoonful of sugar and I drink it black. Some days it's a splash of creamer and some days it's fucking, uh, what, what is it? Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's fucking overload on the creamer. I don't know. I my my usage of creamer and coffee is very schizophrenic. I'm very deliberate about the amount of sugar I use. I never go over one spoonful of sugar. So like the amount of sugar I use is like it's a little sweet, but it's not like it's not like drinking a fucking like a candy bar at at, at six thirty in the morning. It's like you know it's it's a it's, it's a coffee with with a with a it's like a pack of sugar. You know it's like okay it's, it takes off the bitter edge and it makes it a little more balanced. But it's not I'm not drinking like sugary sweet coffee by any means. I did when I was a kid. I definitely did when I was a when I was a teenager. God help me. I liked I liked four or five sugar packets in my coffee nowadays. I'm a one one sugar packet in my coffee on the weekdays. Sometimes on the weekend I'll do two sugar packets because it's the weekend and calories don't count on Saturdays, baby girl. But um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little more all over the place with 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 the creamer. The creamer I go anywhere from black to it's borderline milk at this point. So listen, Tim R, appreciate you. Thank you for writing in. Hope you're having a great week, and thank you for accepting, sir. All right, two more commenters uh, to get to. Mike Clark writes in and says. Uh, my favorite Thursday Xbox podcast on a Saturday, of course, referring to last week's episode going up on Saturday to accommodate the game awards, which as a side note, thank you guys for, you know, for bearing with me through that. I know that kind of hurts the numbers of the podcast a little bit to have to delay it a few days, um, because people expected a certain day and then they don't get it until later. Um, but it just, it just didn't make sense to do the podcast and then have the game awards happen hours after the podcast went live. It just would make no fucking sense. So I appreciate you guys bearing with me through that. Uh, of course, we'll go back to our regular Thursday schedule now. But Mike Clark says, my favorite Xbox Thursday podcast on a Saturday. GT6, never heard of her. Hellblade 2, 
looks awesome to me. And I love the first one. Ninja Theory has never missed. Well, I'm glad you're very optimistic about that game. Moon Studios looks fire, and I tried uh, Xbox tried to buy them, and dude told Phil to piss off. If that's true, I don't remember that happening, but that is funny. The single best announcement from the show was Sega. Jet Grind Radio, abso-fucking-lutely. Uh, well, I also think that, uh, what is it called, Exodus? I think Exodus looks freaking awesome. But yeah, uh, the, the Sega announcement was so good. I'm still very hyped about that. Uh, I've not enjoyed a Hideo Kojima game since Metal Gear Solid 1, and, and I have a feeling that OD will be no different. I have a feeling that OD is going to be a severely whatever type experience. I don't think it's going to be like a light the world on fire type of game. Again, it's just really good press for Xbox to have a project with Hideo Kojima, and that's really the true heart and soul behind behind that happening. I never watched the entire show, but I enjoyed the announcements of the Game Awards. Xbox has a very good showing, and this is just my opinion, but 2024 looks like a huge year. Hellblade 2, Stalker 2, and possibly Avowed sounds much better than 2023. They're also saying that Fable is going to be next year too, so we'll see about that. We'll see. I Between Avowed, Fable, and, uh, and, and Hellblade, Something's getting delayed into the next year, and I think it's most likely Fable. Um, maybe Avowed, but I think most likely Fable. I think 2024... Let me just put this out there. I'm not saying this to be negative. I just genuinely think this. I I, I genuinely think that 2024 could be a, a, a bad year for Xbox, not because they put out bad games, but because I think they're banking on some games that are not guaranteed to come out next year, and I think Avowed and Fable both have serious potential to slip into 2025, especially Fable, but maybe even about. So I'm not willing that into existence. I'm not hoping for that. I'm just, that's just my speculation. I hope I'm wrong, but putting it out there. All right, final comment comes from none other than Headhunting Halo. Thank you for writing in, Mike Clark. Uh, Headhunting Halo, who writes in with the final comment and says, Grand Theft Auto 6, man, I can't wait for it. I'm down for them. Taking uh, taking their time, but I feel like Rockstar never waits that long. This game is going to make so much damn money. It's almost Christmas time. What's going on your list if you were a kid again? That is a really fun question. Also, congrats on the house, man. Welcome to the high interest rates. Thank you. I love it. I can't wait to be in debt forever. Um, but yeah, dude, that's that's actually a really fun hypothetical question. If you were a if you were a kid, I, maybe maybe I, this isn't exactly how you're asking it, but I do want to answer it this way. It's 2023. Everything this year has gone exactly how this year has gone. It's Christmas in a couple weeks. You're uh, you're you're 11 years old. What are you asking Santa or mom and dad or whoever for for Christmas? I love that. I love that so much. Um, all right, let's 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 play this fucking game. So in this scenario, let's just assume I still have an Xbox. I still have a Switch. My birthday is in the springtime, so that means basically every game I wanted to play this year came out well after my birthday. So this might sound a little a little lame, a little cop-out-ish, but listen, if I'm a kid, if I'm a kid, I don't give a shit about Alan Wake. I don't give a shit about Starfield. I don't give a shit about Boulder's Gate because when I was like 10 years old, 8 years old, 12 years old, my favorite games are the games I think you're going to expect me to say. Uh, I, I would be like, this, this is the thing. is like It's, it's kind of hard to guess how you would be a kid in today's world where everything's fucking in-app purchases and, and, and iPads. I want an Xbox gift card so I can buy shit in the Halo Infinite shop. I want Sonic Superstars. I want Mario Wonder. I want Pikmin 4. I'm trying to answer this honestly because when I was a kid, this was the shit I wanted. I wanted all like the Nintendo stuff and Sonic stuff and then Halo. That was like, 
Halo was my badass adult game. And then I just liked Nintendo, Sonic, and racing. So I'd ask for Hot Wheels Unleashed 2, Mario Wonder, Sonic Superstars, an Xbox gift card so I could blow money on Halo Infinite's in-game shop, a pack of Mountain Dew, a pack of Slain Delight, a bag of Nestle Crunch. Oh, and an Xbox on nudie calendar where every month is a different listener showing their awesome avatar pictures spread out like pretty boys in, in fire trucks. That's what I would ask for. I don't know. It's kind of hard. It's kind of, I don't know. When I was a kid, I didn't get that many games when I was a kid. It wouldn't have been like that. <laughs> I'd, I'd get like, I'd get like a, like an N64 four years after the GameCube came out or something like that when I was a kid. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's where I'm put on the list. Santa, you pick from that list what you want to do. We got Sonic, we got Mario, we got Pikmin, we got Halo money in, in the Xbox store, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2, and some candy. Let's make it happen. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a fun question. I, I appreciate it. Having Halo. Well, that's going to do for our podcast. That's it. That's the last comment. That's it. Everyone's done. We're, we're going to bed. Put your heads down on the pillow. Close your fucking eyes. I don't care if you're not tired. It's bedtime. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening so much. Um, joking aside, yeah, please do write in with your top five favorite games you played of the year. I'd love to read your comments on the December 28th episode, the last episode of the year. And uh, until next week, you guys take care, be well, uh, play some awesome video games, eat some good food, and spend some time with people you love. And until next week, power your dreams. <laughs>